Yes, hello, I am James Rowlands and today it's the Dublin Art 334. Today, the Forbidden Door is open. An incredible journey. I am not alone. I have the pleasure to be joined by the Mind of Monty. How you doing, fella? Oh, man, I'm feeling good. How are you? I'm, I'm glad to be here. And man, the Forbidden Door, is it, is, it, is it open? I can't believe they're letting us in, too. <laughs> Well, as like I said, everybody listening, grab your popcorn and come along to the journey with us. This should be great. Of course, like I said, we usually follow NXT, but we have looked at New Japan. We're going to get onto that and onto everything else. We're going to be looking at a number of subjects, all tied to New Japan, including its relationship with AEW and Impact, plus the match we've been waiting for. John Moxley versus Kenta for the IWGP US Heavyweight Championship. Uh, we're going to get into everything, like I said, but first and foremost, how excited are you? about the Moxie Kenta match that we're going to watch on the show, plus the Forbidden Door, um, you know, and, and all the kind of excitement around at this moment in time. Oh, man, I'm just as excited as uh, a lot of the many other, um, uh, especially in America, because I know I can at least speak from the tone of an American New Japan fan, someone who's been uh, watching this uh, for a while now, for many years. I think I started in 2016. Uh, this has been the most universal hype and what I mean by that is just that you just see it all over your Twitter timeline when Kenta first showed up in AEW, just how much this meant to how many people and uh, what the possibilities are. And that's that's what I'm saying. Like, they really haven't done a lot yet, but it's just so much that can happen and just the hype about this. But personally, I'm definitely I've been excited for this match for a long time. They had uh, a tournament a while back. I think it was a, I think it was a new, like a, a, a tournament in, on New Japan Strong in particular, where Kenta did pick up winning the trophy, where, I mean, not the trophy, the briefcase, where he will challenge uh, Moxley, uh, the current U.S. champion uh, at the time, for the uh, the title. And they've been waiting on this, pushing this, uh, not really pushing it back, they never really announced the date, but this has been going on for months at a time now, where Kenta has been baiting Moxley and challenging him in his promos in New Japan and just, uh, you know, saying, we'll decide this on my time. And, you know, and Moxley been away, you know, his first reign with the U.S. title. A typhoon was the only thing that took it off of him. And, and a typhoon happened in Japan. It allowed him, he missed the show. They stripped him because it was too uh, long within his first, I mean, too long of a break between reigns. They do that in Japan. Uh, uh, you know, they have like a set date and the pandemic again in 2020 took uh, a lot of this away uh, from when it comes to. So it had a lot of uncertainty there about what's next for Moxley as what's next for the U.S. title. So this was a big match in general just because of that, besides the impact on multiple promotions that it has. Well, this is the thing as well, and it's opened up a lot of eyes to uh, New Japan and also with everything that's going on. So the, the part of the podcast today as well is trying to explain to anybody, because like I said, you've been a fan for a while. Uh, you said about 2016. What were the reasonings behind getting into New Japan and why did you find yourself actually liking the product as well? Well, uh, I'm going to say, uh, and this is hilarious, this is kind of funny, I don't, and funny maybe to people who only know a certain version of the guy, uh, but a few years before, uh, like a year or so before I watched my first Wrestle Kingdom in 2016, I believe, which would be the, the first Okada and Kenny Omega matchup that tore up the, uh, the internet and everyone was very, very high. I, that was my first Wrestle Kingdom that I got a chance to subscribe and watch live. Uh, but before that, on Access Television in America, it's a channel called Access Television, New Japan would show 
some of their best matches, greatest hits. And that was this guy called the King of Strongs, uh, Shinsuke Nakamura. I would watch him, and I was just mesmerized with just like everything about him, the charisma, the and the like. He every every movement he made was important. Like he was just a he's a huge star. Like people don't understand if you watch Shinsuke Nakamura in America now, he doesn't even scratch the surface character wise and just how he felt in New Japan when he was the King of Strong Style and the uh, the Intercontinental Champion. And it was just that style that I think he was fighting Hiroshi Tanahashi. And, uh, and uh, of course, if, if anybody knows, Tanahashi is one of the biggest stars. He's considered the ace of New Japan. He's one of the biggest stars around the world, but definitely known for carrying New Japan on his back. We can get into more of that uh, a little later. But that match, I watched them go back and forth, and it was just a just an incredible match. And Shinsuke Nakamura, always, every match I got a chance to see on the certain highlights of Access Television, just putting on shows. Well, if you think, but before that, way before he, like before I got to actually watch New Japan on the regular, Shinsuke was gone by then. So it just kind of actually evolved from me falling in love with that style of match. Like, I was just like, I was salivating for it. I need more. You know, I liked Ring of Honor. They kind of do a similar Japanese style. And, uh, you know, with a lot of their honor traditions and the way the type of matches that they would put on for, especially uh, six, five, six years ago, I definitely was in the ring on a heavy. But watching New Japan and falling in love with that style immediately drew me to a match. And it, I was a lot of people online for years were saying, check out a Wrestle Kingdom, you know, uh, Wrestle Kingdom 12 and uh, Wrestle Kingdom 12 on up really is when a lot of people really, uh, from what I remember, uh checking out and just falling in love with all the shows. Yes, they can be lengthy, but once you get into like the, the storytelling and the, the way they fight and it's just, Oh my goodness. It's, it's, it's just, I, I was just drawn to every move and it started with Shinsuke Nakamura, but my very first Wrestle Kingdom was uh, the Kenny Omega and Okada uh, classic when they main event. I'm trying to get the number on that one so I can get everyone uh, prepared. I'm mean, get everyone, just in case you want to go to New Japan World and check out uh, which Wrestle Kingdom that was. Okada? Uh, I want to say 13, but uh, no, that's Wrestle Kingdom 13 is uh, Tanahashi. So I think I was right with 12. 12 is actually the one I'm thinking about. So there you go. I think so. Which Wrestle yeah. Kingdoms, um, <laughs> what one's the one with AJ Styles and Nakamura? Because I think that's the first yes. one. I mean, I'm, I'm going to have to say, like, you know, being someone who's watched wrestling for, like, you know, 20 years, back in the day to be able to watch a New Japan event was near on impossible, whether it was tape trading or, or anything like this. And it was only until maybe, say, the past 10 years or so that it's become... Uh, ready available i mean i'll admit to it that i some i've got a, a, a copy of aj nakamura and i think jr was doing the commentating as well yes uh and i, I think you're you're definitely right about that that was also a very big match i'm trying to make sure i get it right shinsuke nakamura aj styles was wrestle kingdom 10 10 yes wrestle kingdom 10 way back january 4 2016 so uh, I actually had my year round. My first official uh, Wrestle Kingdom that I got a chance to enjoy was not that one. Even though Okada versus Tanahashi from that same Wrestle Kingdom was also a classic match right after the Shinsuke Nakamura AJ Styles classic that I do remember vividly that you were talking about watching back myself. Maybe also I saw that on Access Television also. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was one of the matches 
on that reel. It was multiple matches they were showing at the time. But yes, Wrestle Kingdom uh, 10 is the one you're talking about with that classic. Because it's, it's weird, you know, talk about that. It's, it's that something back then that I looked at, but I didn't stick with the product. And whereas you were kind of like, oh, let me just see what they're delivering. And, and how did you watch it? Because uh, now I'm lucky enough to have the, you know, the fire stick to be able to watch um, NJPW, well, New Japan World on it. How, so, how like, did you watch it? So like you said, uh, at first, Yes, I agree 100%. Before, uh, uh, for, for years, it was always hard to get your hands on things, especially before they uh, started the streaming service that they have had now since, I believe, 2015. But it's way better than it was. Like, it's way more English-friendly now than it was those days. Uh, I did not watch, and I'm not going to lie to you, I did not watch Wrestle Kingdom 11, which is the Wrestle King, my first Wrestle Kingdom, which is the Kenny Omega and Okada uh, night. I did not watch that one via New Japan World. It was I. I'm gonna be honest. Someone was streaming it live, most likely illegally, on YouTube, <laughs> <laughs> and I was catching it. Uh, it was like a replay of what had happened that earlier that morning. So, like, if you don't know over here in America, when when usually when Japan is, are doing it, uh, when New Japan is on, it's like very very early in the morning, 2 a.m. Eastern. Like, for example, for Castle Attack on the 26th was the, uh, like, 2 a.m. Eastern time, which would be, like, where I live would be, like, 1 a.m. in the morning, 1 in the morning, and that's, like, 7 a.m., you know, uh, GMT, so uh, uh, that's basically how they usually do it, you know, to deal with the time, so you either have to get up early, stay up, you know, camp out, you know, I've, I've become one of those people sometimes who camp out. Most of the time, I wait till the next morning and just check it, check it out on New Japan World now, so uh, primarily now, New Japan World. Since that day, it was New Japan World, the streaming service that you pay 999 yen to, uh, which about like nine bucks, really, uh, in in uh, in our in American uh, currency. Uh, not sure what it can. Again, I'm not even sure how it even works over there. Like, so you guys just primarily do the Fire Stick? Yeah, it's it's through there, really. I mean, you can't. Yeah, uh, to get it on your your tablet, you need to go on like you know Safari and stuff like that to log in. But your fire stick, you get it. You pay about seven pounds. And gotcha. when you go to the website, it's a bit. I can see why people might get a bit confused because of all the the kind of stuff at you. But you can select the English setting, obviously. And I think with a fire stick uh, and the way they've set it up, you're just following images. And I think you know if you go with the English commentary underneath, it's a lot more accessible than people maybe think it is. You know. Exactly, exactly. It takes a little, like you said, it's definitely overwhelming at first. It takes a little bit of time. Uh, like I said, I can speak from my perspective, it was a little bit, it wasn't that hard to, since it's mostly set up like a website. So it's, it's not that hard for me, for the most part, on New Japan World. But with the Fire Stick, I, I definitely understand it's going to, you're going to have to get some, take some adjusting. You got to find, figure out how it, how, it how it works and all of that. But yeah, uh, at first, like you said, it was hard to find. Even the Access TV was just like an hour of television, and it wasn't a whole card. It would be like just some of the best matches from the card. So for a long time, that's all I had to even understand what was really going on in New Japan for a long time. But since 2016, really, they've been doing, uh, you know, a cat like a nice job, at least from the New Japan world perspective, of streaming their events when it's going on. Uh, you know, and like I said, in the years, especially w- since uh, 2018, they've definitely done way more English commentary, like, uh, you know, way more pro- uh, projects that 
uh, English center, you know, like we're, we're going to talk about New Japan strong when that comes on, you know, that's more like it comes on uh, like for the time period of us, like uh, it's 10 p.m. 10, 10 Eastern here, which is again like 9 p.m. for us right at night. So it's a good time on Fridays here. I'm not even sure again what, how it even how strong even works, like when it comes out for you guys and all of that. But uh, yeah, so they like I said, they're they're making ways. They they you know as we as we continue to explain, they're 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 expansion. They're trying to expand their horizons from just Japan, and it's it's been a process. But the site has gotten better, easier, more user friendly, uh, and you know. I think it's just going to be a process, you know, with all of this. But uh, I definitely fell in love with Russell King. So it was January 4th, 2017, to be exact, is when I was when I knew, OK, I need to subscribe. I need more of this in my life, you know, from the crowds, from the like the, the marathon like uh, matches they would have. And the, the once the match gets into their fighting spirit portion and you get the reversals and the, the, the comebacks, it's just, oh, man, it's just great. I can't. I can't even really put it in the word. I think it's something that everyone needs to experience. And that's why I always just try to recommend that people check out New Japan because it's I've heard I've heard different opinions. Some people hate the fact that it's a marathon, you know, uh sometimes, you know, and they've also gotten better at that. You know, the shows are much shorter these days, you know, of course with the pandemic and all of that type of stuff. But you know. Uh, yeah, I think they're doing many things to become more user friendly to everyone. I find it funny when I hear, especially like you, an American, going, "Oh, we have to stay up to one o'clock in the morning to watch it." We have to stay up at one o'clock in the morning, everybody <laughs> in England, to watch every American event. See, see, that's how just detached we are over here. Like we don't even. We, I swear, we don't. I'm sorry. See, I, I probably felt now. I feel like I came off insensitive, <laughs> insensitive to you guys' struggle. On a on a well, just trying to enjoy wrestling, and now you gotta. Yeah, I get it. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're right. Um, you're right. <laughs> but like I said, there's ways around it. We're on demand now. It's a lot easier to pick it up. And Thank especially, if you, you know, you turn your notifications off on your phone, whatever it is, and you try and avoid spoilers as well. Uh, yes. But what we're what we're gonna look at is we talk about anybody that's never, you know, watched a New Japan event, or, or anybody that doesn't actually know what it is so we're going to go to a bit of uh, njpw history and of course it was founded on january 13th 1972 by antonio Inoki. the promotion was sold to uke so later sold to bushy road in 2012 tv asia and amusing were minority shares of the company and has served as promotion chairman since september 2013 while takami ubari served as a president of promotion six in october 2020 um and what we're going to say about it, obviously, being formed and stuff like that, when it comes to who's in charge, kind of who's behind the scenes, is it a bit like uh, a Mr. Man type character or don't we really know what's going on behind the curtain, so to speak? They do a really good job of protecting New Japan's like brass and who makes a lot of the decisions. Uh, uh, I, I think we will get into this. Conference. They do have like presidents and CEOs who kind of become like the figurehead, like the current one who is over their new Japan uh, of USA expansion. He's also he's just he's relatively new because the the, the most recent president before him, Harold Meech, uh resigned, I think, last November or October. So uh, it wasn't that long ago. Those are guys who I would consider like the figureheads, like the guys who are in the position 
like a Vince McMahon, but they have, as far as I know, they don't have too much influence on what goes on the show. The guy that if you want to say is a Vince McMahon, as far as what happens on the show and how how well his book is Gato. He used to be a, a he used to be if you were familiar with WCW, he showed up in WCW back in the day when New Japan had a relationship with them. Uh, he was he's a great wrestler. He's uh, had a, a great junior heavyweight career, and he's just a a genius, if you ask me, just based on what he did. If you uh, guys, uh, if anybody was checking out maybe those classic Okada matches from a year ago, a few years ago with Kenny, he was the guy managing Kazuchika Okada. Uh, they're actually, they're, I think, that, I think he's actually uh, Okada is his cousin, by the way. So that's that's a nice, you know, little nod right there. But uh, <laughs> uh, Gato is a mastermind. I think he's influenced by a lot of old Southern style wrestling. So a lot of the stuff with the bullet club that's happened in the recent years and all of the, the heelish tactics, he's just great at that type of stuff. And he's just been, he's been, I honestly think he's one of the best people who like book in my opinion, uh, he does new Japan strong also. So he's just one of the best bookers in the world. Like if you want to go there and want to talk about like with Tony Khan, you know, triple H, Vince McMahon, the guys who are making these decisions, or the the guy who get the the guys who get the final say, Gato definitely deserves uh, credit because a lot of the best moments of the last, let's say, at least since 2012, I can at least account for a lot of those best moments in New Japan history. And the guys who coming in and out of that door is because of uh, Gato. Even Jericho's relationship with uh, uh yeah. with New Japan comes from Gato. I was about to say because they, they those two had some great matches he talked about back in exactly. WWE and have that relationship to kind of open up the door uh, to Jericho. And, and a lot of people thinking maybe is this the first time New Japan have worked with other companies? We're going to go into more detail in a little bit, but just to reel off a list, I mean, with NWA, they've had agreements uh, with MMA promotions as well, like Pride, uh, the mm-hmm. WWE, All Elite, Wrestling of Course, World Championship Wrestling, AWA, World Class Championship, Impact, uh, Ring of Honor, Pride Fight in New Jersey, All Pro Wrestling. Uh, and of course, it's, it's the biggest promotion in Japan. Uh, why is it what's its importance and uh, why is it respected so much because obviously like you know you have big promotions around different countries you know in mexico the triple a and stuff like this of course you know uh, maybe you could argue rev pro in the uk but why is it the kind of clear lead and why is it so important and kind of respected i think uh, that has a lot to do with uh you know its history you know of course starting in 1972 and how famous anoki was not only just in Japan, because uh, he definitely was one of the biggest names in Japan, but, you know, after his his fight or his uh, legit, legitimate fight, by the way, that people did not necessarily love with Muhammad Ali, he became pretty much a worldwide uh, name for a while, uh, and especially during that time when he was active. Uh, but anyway, you know, uh, I think it's a lot of a lot of it has to do with the history. You know, uh, in the 80s, they came up with the with IWGP which is uh which is still the name of their heavyweight and their junior and all their championships goes under the International Wrestling Grand Prix, uh, which is something that Anoki started, you know. And it just has such a great history. I mean, Hulk Hogan won one of their very first big tournaments. You know, people probably don't even know that, you know, uh, like you said, they had great relationships with uh other organizations for a long time. And that was in the eighties when that happened. Uh, Jushin Thunder Liger, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, you know, uh started his run in the junior heavyweight division in the 90s with uh, in you know with new japan that's that that is a legend you know legends like tiger mask and you know you have chono the great muda you know what i mean so many great names the history of it really helps they do this every every world title match 
They have every heavyweight title match that, that, that New Japan has. They go down the list of every IWGP heavyweight champion. And it's just a, a who's who, a great list. of uh, Even the list during their down period, you know, with guys like Brock Lesnar, uh, uh, you know, that people know. And, you know, Big Van Vader uh, over the years working in New Japan. It's just, you know, yeah, All Japan started in 1972 also. And it has a great long history. Uh, too, but New Japan is where a lot of those household Japanese wrestling names that you know and love, they all spend time. Now, Tenryu, and I, I could just go down a Fujinami, I could just go down a, a humongous list of just legends over the years who uh, have done this. So, it's important, it has a lot to do with that, and also just like what has become known for, especially now. I can know I can speak for this current era. Like I said, I, I always try to reference, like, like you said. 2012, maybe when Bushi Road took over and all of that type of stuff, how things started to change. The strong style, like Shinsuke is called the king of strong style in uh in WWE, but he was the king of long king of strong style for a long time in New Japan before it was. He coined the phrase strong style is a New Japan thing, you know, fighting to where it's all about fighting spirit. Sometimes you really wonder about the health of these guys because it's so spilt. It feels like a shoot mid-match with mid-match, something else that Anoki, uh, you know, absolutely loves. So, uh, and, you know, put on the map also with strong style. You know, that was his style of wrestling. So it's just, again, it's deep-rooted in such a great history. And it's just like, like I said, the contrast also is so important to me personally because it's nothing like anything else I watch. I think in recent years, things like NXT and, like I said, Ring of Honor, certain other things start to fight more of a strong style. You know, even the main roster fight more of a strong style style maybe these days. But a lot of that comes from and stems from a variant of the New Japan. Well, like I said, you, t- <laughs> you covered a lot of things there. And I just want to go into detail about a couple of them. So, of course, we talked about Inoki and uh, and how kind of a bigger style was. I'd like to talk about with Muhammad Ali. Anybody wants to go back and watch that, he's based on his feet uh, on the floor. Type, they couldn't of course, Muhammad <laughs> Ali during that time was a lot of boxing, but Inoki was, was huge. You know, you talk about the kind of biggest stuff, a Hulk Hogan. And speaking of a Hulk Hogan, even when he went over to Japan, he kind of respected it so much that he changed his style. And it wasn't a leg drop, it was his finish. It was the, the clothesline, uh, the yeah. running axe, you know, because uh, he said he, he respected it. You talk about injury as well. Vader, you know, Stan Hansen having the battle where uh, Stan could never kind of see right. And he shot Vader off to the ropes and was looking out into the distance. And it kind of took out Vader's, um, you know, his eye came out of the socket. And basically, yeah. did they did they stop the match? No, he popped it back nope. in and they continued. <laughs> you know, kept going. And <laughs> it's like, Insane. and you talk about the list of, you know, from that Hogan to, you know, even to Lesnar. And it seems like the WWE, someone leaves and they go, right, we're not going to, you know, uh, talk about them at all. And uh, with New Japan, they kind of look at the history and go, yeah, we might have made some mistakes, but this is what it is. Exactly. And it's interesting as well about the, the IWGP thing, because people might not understand uh, why it is not like the NJPW heavyweight championship. So it's IWGP. You're saying it was for the Grand Prix. So and that was in the 80s when that came around. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it was uh, the first tournament held in 1983. And, uh, you know, and Hogan won and, and of course, he defeated Anoki in controversial faction. Uh, but Anoki, of course, won the next year. Andre the Giant won in 1985. 
Uh, and after 87, after Anoki had already won three of those uh, Grand Prix tournaments, he decided to, that the winner, uh, you know, should be a defending champion, the winner of the tournament. So the first IWGP Heavyweight Championship champion was crowned, which, of course, was Antonio Anoki. Uh, in 87 and you know that uh, before that though the in 85 the heavyweight the IWGP heavyweight tag team championship was created and then in 86 they created the IWGP junior heavyweight champion uh, which was held by and that uh, was held by Shiro Koshinaka yeah so right yeah. and that if if I mean my uh, you know the rest of, and that is then what's included with the junior heavyweight division when you've got your tiger mask you know yes. the wild, Peg- Pe- wild pegasus and people like that yes Right, right. Ben Walls, Ultimo Dragon, uh, like just oh man, it's just such a list. Like the '90s period of time of junior heavyweight is still considered like all, n- never, like no one's touching, no no era. Even since then and before, nothing is touching that era of junior heavyweights. If you really want to look at just match quality and who they were, the, the talent they've had over the years is incredible. This is just incredible list of names. Yeah, and this is what I say, and so it's almost like throughout the years, you know, rather than saying right, we haven't maybe got the best heavyweight wrestlers, uh, we we kind of use the junior heavyweights. And if you're saying that's, uh, you know, early '80s, then obviously with WSW in the cruiserweight division afterwards, it was those, you know, it was the first time they kind of put the junior heavyweights in a prime position. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of that influence that ECW and uh, you know, like you said, WCW, a lot of that stuff of making the cruiserweights, making the smaller divisions in America came from, like you said, the prominence and just how everyone loved what Liger and those other legends were doing in those matches. Like you said, Jericho uh, came over in Japan and wrestled as a junior heavyweight plenty of times. Like it's just like I said, it's such a long list of greats who went over there. Uh, had great runs, whether they were champions or not. Great matches. Uh, best of the Super Junior Tournament is just like uh, a junior heavyweight version of the G1. So the juniors are just as important, if not more in certain cases, than the heavyweights in Japan. Like it's just it's, They're on the same level. I think that's the one difference that maybe in, Ameri- maybe in American television of wrestling, like especially in WWE, with the way, like, like for example, 205 Live, there's no way – like they don't even compare. Like if you want to look at the cruiserweight division and how important it seems as far as 205 live is, it's nowhere on the level of how important the junior heavyweight title is. So, uh, but the, the thing is as well, when it comes to the way, um, you know, Japanese media cover professional wrestling, as opposed yes. to way the American and the rest of the world, it's right, uh, right. Treat, treated as kind of real. And it's in newspapers with the other sports in the back pages, isn't it? You know, Yes, it's it's very very legit. You know, it's certain things. It's a tra- it's a tradition. You know, to respect the uh, like everything. Like the the crowds are completely different. It's not as much. You know, yeah, they do chants every now and then. It's certain they chant wrestlers' name. They're clap. They will boo. But it's certain things uh, that they don't do it. Like when someone is entering the ring, necessarily they don't necessarily. Uh, it's not it, it's not the same way that you may be used to seeing. Your pro wrestling is way more focused on what's going on in the ring. They react after moves in Japan, while you know a lot of times in other around the world, you may not necessarily have to do a whole lot. You can just be who you are as a character and get a lot of pops and cheers and catchphrases over. In Japan, it's more so about what are you doing in that ring, the action, you know, the the back and forth, the storytelling within the match, you know, uh, 
just the pain you can withstand and dish out. Like that, those are the things that really get you over in Japan from, from what I've seen just witnessing. And like you said, is, is, is they have press conferences like a, 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 like, you know, like a football game or anything like that. You know, like they, they treat them just like you said, like they're le- legitimate athletes. You know, they do the press conference after the show, which comes up to be, that's kind of like their promo, like their, their little press interviews after they have a match. They, they, they sort, they section it off on new Japan world as their comments. And that's pretty much most of the content that you're going to get as far as promos go from you. If you're just watching the shows, you'll never see someone walk out and give a promo uh, at the beginning of a show and set up a feud at the, no, it's, most of the time, if they are going to do that, it'd be after the show, first of all. And then second of all, like you said, it's just a legitimate, it's view. You got it. Uh, they got sport, different sports out media outlets interviewing the wrestlers after title matches. So it, it like you said, it's treated just like the real thing, like any other sport uh, is treated. And, uh, and I do like that. It's a nice touch. You know, it's, it's different. And again, that's what I say. I, that's what thing that, that drew me into it, just how different it was to see wrestling presented in that way is refreshing. Yeah, I think without a doubt. And, you know, we t- we talk about, you know, kind of the way it's treated and, and, and how it's going with that. Uh, and I think that's brilliant. Uh, one of the questions that will, you know, people may ask is why is there not a women's division? Why are there not women involved in Japan pro wrestling or, or are there? And we just, you know, I don't know about it. Right. Uh, no, trust me. Not definitely not the first people to uh, to ask that question. I think once, especially when you view other types of wrestling, when you notice it, it's one of those things. Like, man, I wonder why. What's the big deal? Well, the thing is, they have in Japan. They're pretty much their own thing. Uh, organizations like Stardom, and uh, you know, for example, uh, it's plenty. I'm trying, let me let me see if I can figure. I, I have them on top on the tip of my tongue. And I can't think of the other. But they have their own organizations for. Joshi, as they call it in uh, Japan, style of wrestling, which is the female brand of wrestling. So, uh, you know, they're like Shimmer and stuff like that. Exactly, exactly. So they have their own champions, own, uh, you know, situations, their own companies. So when you when you see like great re- uh, great Japanese wrestlers like the Oscars of the world and some of the 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 oh man, Emi Sakura and you know uh, Hikaru Shida and a lot of, a lot of those. Well, ladies came, you know, from different, you know, Joshi uh, organizations in Japan and they have their own set own things like Joe. I think Stardom definitely has their own like streaming service and things set up kind of a similar way uh, (laughs) in New Japan has one now. So like Stardom is the most famous. So that's why I keep focusing on that one. But there's plenty of other uh, great, you know, female Japanese wrestling uh, organizations also. And they like I said, they just focus on the women as opposed to having the kind of mix between the two. Exactly, exactly. So they just have their own thing, basically. Yes. Um, quickly as well, uh, we talk about the fans of Japan because I think the fans of Japan are very respectful. Maybe not, you know, as uh, rude maybe as some of the, <laughs> the 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 fans. I think it is sometimes. I think it's like in London, you know, and and I think somewhere other places where the crowd can add to a match. But when you're ch- in WWE events, other wrestlers' names and just trying to get yourself over. I don't right, think that right. helps. And I think there's a sign of respect. And I always remember, uh, you know, especially Mick Foley's book, where, you know, they go into the crowd and the fans would love it if you get hit by a chair because it'll be part of a show or, you know, getting chased away and stuff like this, where you think if he tries to do that in America, the kind of lawsuits. 
Um, is it is, is it because of just the kind of way wrestling is treated, or are Japanese you know is Japanese wrestlers or fans sorry got more respect for the wrestlers themselves? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. I think uh, the treatment. I think that was kind of leading to each other since they're treated as legitimate, and a lot of these guys are like. I'm going to be honest with you. Minoru Suzuki goes into a crowd, especially when things were normal. He would go into the crowd multiple times. And I dare any fan. I don't care where who, where you're from. Try him if you want to. He is <laughs> legitimate. He will legitimately beat you down. And he looks insane. So, like, I just I, I just I don't I don't recommend it for anyone. But I agree. It, it has a lot to do with the respect for the wrestlers. And also, just like you said, they're just honored to be a part of what they love of the show, you know, like if some one of them get hit on accident, they, they'll be smiling just like nothing happened or, <laughs> they, or they love it. Like you said, they get shooed away, get out the way. And, you know, they, they love being a part of the show. They love seeing the wrestlers uh, up on them. It's kind of weird talking about this now since I haven't seen one of those spots in a while. And it's, it's crazy. You don't, I didn't realize how much of a part of the show it was until one, I think uh, Ishii uh, a couple weeks back went over the barricade, and right now the wrestlers can't go over the barricade. So when one of the wrestlers went over, the uh, Jay White, who was fighting Ishii at the time, could not go get him. So he had to wait until he come back through the barricade <laughs> to finish to keep to continue his attack. So you know, the, of course, the pandemic has taken a lot of those little uh, you know fan you know inclusion things out, but. Again, uh, yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with, like you said, the respect and just all the, the mere fact that, honestly, especially like the, with the young lions being also uh, side, on the side of the ring, they get attacked all the time right in front of the fans, <laughs> especially by the bad guys. They just hit the young lions just for being in front of them. You know what I'm saying? So you, just get, you, get, you get these hard licks done right in front of you, of course you're going to get out the way when he says move after he just laid out this poor young lad <laughs> to get, well, you know, next I, to you. So I'll tell you, say, talk about uh, young lions. I mean, rookie wrestlers of the New Japan uh, pro wrestling are referred to young lions. The name is a reference to the logo, which, fe- which features the fearsome beast. Now, not many people might know, but to consider the young lion, one must have to be trained through the NJPW system. There are three schools an individual can train to become a young lion. The do- dojo in Japan, its American counterpart in Los Angeles, and New Zealand counterpart in uh, Auckland, New Zealand. Um, is this a big thing? Because obviously many people will be thinking WWE with a performance center, especially in the UK, will be the first festival promotion trying to build elsewhere. But New Japan are doing it. And how long has this been going on for, really? Oh, man. The, New York, the, the, the young lion system has been, something, been a thing for a long time. It's... One of those, as a matter of fact, let me get an exact date to when that came up because that's, they've been like, I can go down the list. Like the original three Musketeers that I kind of brought them up earlier, uh, which were guys who went through the young line system together and they became, you know, three of the biggest stars in uh, Japan. And that, you know, those guys are like, you know, Chono and, you know, Muda and, you know, I, I, I forgot. Let me, let me get the last guy. Well, this room wrong, but either way it go, they graduated from the young line, uh, and they they all became like legends in New Japan. Great, all three of them are multiple champions. So you know, it, it comes from like just working. They do they serve the older wrestlers. They they they've taken down the ring. A lot of the things that you hear that young wrestlers are forced to do, like paying their dues. That's what the young lines are doing while they're in uh in uh, under the system of being a young line. 
And then what happens is as they pay their dues and as the, the years go by, they get better in the ring. They work matches against each other, against uh, some of the older talent, the, uh, the more established stars. You know, they, they, they go through what they what, you know, they, they get better, they improve and then they get sent off on excursions. Sometimes anywhere it could be multiple times like those working relationships that we talked about earlier with WCW, you know, or like uh, as now with Impact and Ring of Honor and, you know, uh, even in uh, Rev Pro have taken plenty of uh, uh, new young lines over the years also with their working relationship uh, well, and taking Japanese talent from the uh, young line system and help get them more experience. The, the, the young lines, they kind of live in the dormitories adjacent to the dojos. They expect to perform household duties such as cleaning, laundry and cooking. Yep. For wrestling shows, the young lion expect to carry the baggage of their seniors, assemble the ring, arrange guest seating. They're also responsible for the security of the audience, shielding them from brawls which may spill outside to the ring. They also wear plain black. They also, I guess, have no gimmicks until they've kind of earned them through the system. Um, and also saying that Nakamura and Finley, David Finley, are the only two young wrestlers in history to win a championship title during their young line days. So this is the kind of thing that everybody has to do, yes? Yes. Uh, for the most part, unless you come from another organization and uh, you've already been through maybe a, a young line system, uh, maybe. But even sometimes, like, for example, Juice Robinson, uh, fresh out of NXT, when he, uh, when he left NXT, he went right into the young line system, even though he didn't really wear the all black guard, uh, you know what I mean? He still uh, went through their system, learned their style and, you know, went through it. He didn't necessarily have to go anywhere on, excur- on excursion, but, you know, they still uh, allowed him through. I think, as a matter of fact, the young line system actually started when this started. So, like, 1972 was, like, some of the first graduates of the young line system. So, there you go. From the beginning, they thought that it would be a great thing to – you know, create their stars from a homegrown uh, process. And it's really genius, in my opinion. Like, I, I really was, when I first seen it, I always wondered, when I first was watching a couple of New Japan shows, like, who are these who are these playing guys, you know, uh, out here wrestling? I don't know who they are. You know, most of the time, they and then most of the time, they, when they start off, they don't look like much. You know, they only know, do a couple of moves. They do the Boston Crab. Not too many. And most most young lines finish finisher at the time is the Boston Crab until they develop their their move sets. Uh, you know it is, but the process though, you watch a guy go from looking not much to maybe looking more ripped as you see him over as the months go by or as the years go by, depending on how long uh, their their process is. So it's just it's, it's a genius way to keep your talent and like you said, no gimmicks. And then when they leave on excursion, they come back. Usually with a gimmick in hand, uh, a, a new style, you know, whatever the dyed hair, all types of things are, is usually uh, involved in when the uh, when the return process happens. But uh, yeah, everyone uh, that you can think of that you know did it most of the time they went through someone system. Like even if you started in all Japan, you probably went to the all Japan dojo or something like that. Like in Japan, that's really one of those things that. I, I I'm I just think it's a really great idea. I, I honestly really that's what this is. And then you see, like for example, when I first started, guys like Yo and Show, uh, who were uh, part of Rapungi, a tag team in New Japan now called Rapungi 3K, they were young lines. Uh, Jay White was even a young line uh, a few just like four or five years ago, and now he's one of the biggest names in wrestling uh, and a former IWGP heavyweight cha- uh, you know heavyweight champion, uh, Jay White, because of you know and look at where he is now. 
you know, tearing up but the internet with his decision making, and he came straight from that young line system. Well, this is the thing we talk about, you know, excursions and t- taking journeys to places. I mean, there's a couple of rest stop conventions I've seen where you kind of, you know, middle of nowhere. I think it's in Canada, and it's this poor Japanese guy, bird of English or French, you know, <laughs> so he's surrounded by it, and right. you know, just going through emotions because he's been told to to go there for six months to kind of work in his career. And like I said, I think it's a really important thing. And, and as we've talked about kind of the history and the way New Japan's built up itself, you know, the way it's looking towards the future and everybody has come through. There's no kind of egos. There's no, you know, apart from, you know, maybe a, a few kind of outsiders here and there, you can't, you know, debut and then next year an event in the Wrestle Kingdom. There has to be a process for you to actually get into that position, yeah? Yeah, it's incredibly rare. You know, it's it's very rare that uh, a person comes through the young line system, debuts, and they're already, you know, where they where they need to be. Like, I can't think of anyone like Okada when he came back as the Rainmaker did win the title, and like I think his first try, his first match, he did win the World Heavyweight Title. But he had been through many years. Don't even get me started on his excursions. Uh, as a matter of fact, I might mention more about his excursion <laughs> later. Uh, but yeah, so he went through his his process also before he could come back and become who he is now. And uh, but yeah, uh, no one. It's really really rare. I can't even think of one off the top of my head where someone was a young line and the next thing you know, like you said, there's only been two of them who's able to win a championship while being young lines, and that's very, even more rare if you think about. It. They've been doing that since 1972. And it's people like Shinsuke Nakamura and David Finley. You know, those are still more recent, you know what I mean, guys. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's very rare. But I think that's – you also, like you said, you grow with these characters. You know, the fan it allows the fan base yeah. to remember. Oh, I remember when he was, you know, just his name and no no tights. And now look at him. He said, so you're Naito, you know, so – this is the thing you can invest in a wrestler and it kind of pays off with the journey. So we've, um, we've spoken about kind of that new Japan is kind of based from and how it's kind of started, you know, and now we're going to talk about the kind of connections it's had with other companies, starting with WCW and more importantly, Starcade 1995, because that was built around the world cup of wrestling between WCW and new Japan pro wrestling. The intent of the world cup was solidified, uh, solidified WCW as a truly international product, as opposed to, uh, the WF one that could offer its fans more than just Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair. But in reality, Starcade 95 was culmination over to re-establish the NJPW-WSW relationship that so badly soured under Bill Watts. Aside from the big World Cup Wrestling Tournament main event of Starcade 95, would see the champion match of man, Randy Savage, face the winner between Ric Flair, Lex Luger and Sting. Uh, and this is quite a weird, because you go back to watch old WWE pay-per-views like I did, you know, you finally have a chance on the network to go. And you can find Starcade 95, and it is kind of just an event in the middle of nowhere, just being put there. I mean, there is some great talent on, on the show when it comes to that. Um, and, and also in WWE as well, we had the NWO Japan. Now, again, anybody thinking NWO was just for uh, the American market was dead wrong, because uh, even according to Eric Bishop, uh, NJPW made more money with the merchandise for the NWO Japan than it did with anything at that time. And you had the great Muta involved, Big Bubba, Big Titan, Hiro Sato, Hiroshi Tenzan, Louis Piccoli, Chono, Michael Wall Street, NWO Sting, enough about that, I think it'd be easier, <laughs> uh, Satoshi Kojima, Scott Norton, 
and uh, got to as well. I mean, and, and during that time, it was it was big, big business uh, in, in Japan. Uh, and I think over time, just WWE didn't see that relationship as kind of worthwhile, which was a bit of a shame. But I think at that time, it was kind of huge. And, and when you think about WF not working with other companies and WWE doing it, I think it was quite a big deal at the time, you know? I agree. Uh, it definitely made, again, we pointed out the Cruiserweight division. How many times? I, I know for a fact. Jushin Thun, I knew about Jushin Thunder Liger before I ever watched the New Japan show. And that's based, that's due to New uh, New Japan wrestlers, uh, you know, showing up in WCW, Nitro uh, episodes uh, when I was younger. Uh, also, uh, Ultima Dragon again. Also, he uh, when he showed up with the multiple world titles that he won in New J- in Japan and all over the world that he had, you know, how he was just a champion everywhere. You know, that, a lot of that, a lot of that type of stuff was my first introduction to not only New Japan, but Japanese wrestling in general. So, uh, you know, like you said, that relationship with WCW spawned a lot of that. It made their cruiserweight division great, which was something that they had that WWE never, uh, never had, you know, especially during that time. And, uh, you know, so it helped them stand out. And also, like you said, the NWO in Japan, you know, for what it was, it, Chono, when Chono was kind of leading the charge, Masahiro Chono, he, you also should remember seeing him uh, a couple of times in Japan. I remember the, uh, I think it was the sold out pay per view. He had a match uh, on the card, and I remember watching uh, Masahiro Chono. But it was a departure from the fighting spirit, you know, strong style uh, fighting that they were known for uh, in the like in '96 when the NWO came, and they went more to like storyline based things with you know the brutal strikes and the submission. You know, uh, and the name I forgot early, earlier was Shinya Hashimoto, and he was the guy, uh, the other three musketeer who he was still doing his style. Like, uh, by the way, when when the NWO, they <laughs> weren't stopping him. But when Muda and Chono moved to the NWO, they they kind of switched styles, kind of did more, you know, heelish tactics, more NWO style. But like you said, it was a big deal in Japan, and to to get down to where it ended in like 1999. Uh, I don't know how familiar this is, but when Russo was running WCW, he went on ahead and just had to put the nail in the coffin with the New Japan relationship by by causing the greatest junior heavyweight champion of all time to lose his IWGP junior uh, championship to Hoover to Guerrero in like a five minute, barely five minute match where the finish was he got uh, Liger gets hits in the hit in the head with a tequila bottle. And it, it was just uh, it was just bad. New Japan didn't like it. They didn't even acknowledge the match and the match where Liger won it back the next week. Uh, they didn't even acknowledge them as happening, and that was the end of their relationship with WCW after that. So as good as these relationships can be, it only takes one or two disrespectful things for New Japan to be like, okay, yeah, I don't, we don't need you guys. Well, this is the clever thing about it, because they don't want to look like mugs, as you say, you know, in Britain as well. So they're kind of saying to them, right, if you're not going to use us correctly, don't use us at all. And and uh, also, you know, relationship with Pat uh, Wrestling, not only did Kurt Angle win an Olympic gold medal with a broken freaking neck, he also won the IWGP Heavyweight Championship <laughs> in Japan for 233 days while working for TNA. Um, and then there's five matches I just want to bring up. Motor City Machine Guns versus LAX versus No Limit, which is Tetsu in NATO and uh, Yura Takahashi from TNA Lockdown, April 19th, 2009. You've got Team USA versus Team Japan, Black Tiger, Mino Tanaka and Hiroku Gosu 
Lockdown April 23rd, 2006. Mojo versus Yushin Thunder Liger. TNA Bound for Glory on October 23rd, 2005. AJ Styles versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. TNA Final Resolution, January 15th, 2006. And Kurt Angle versus Yuji Nagata. NJPW Wrestle Kingdom 2, January 4th, 2008. I mean, when you look back on that and the talent on show there... It's uh, it makes you want to go and watch the events and matches now, doesn't it? <laughs> Definitely, man. You just run down the car and I'm just like, like, did I see that match, man? I need to go seek this one out, you know. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, definitely. It the talent standpoint. And I think th- what we're getting into now is also can tie into like the Forbidden Door and all of that because of that's this is with stuff like that. Those matches that you just listed, those type of connections and special moments that people can you know grasp on and remember those are the type of things that people are expecting when this when the forbidden door is open you know what i mean and that's what people want now in this current era of of great wrestling and wrestlers you know what i'm saying you know that's what people remember is a lot of those classic moments when new japan and uh you know impact work together and you know again though towards the end after uh, you know as those relationships you know, we're going on. They had plenty of talent. Uh, new, uh, T- Impact did to where if you think think of, if I if I listed off some of the guys that they had, you know, with uh, Naito and then they had they they had Tanahashi and Okada around the same time. Three of the greatest, uh, if you want to mention in New Japan and just look at how they've been used since around the same time. And they just did nothing with them, you know. And that's another thing that just kind of soured the relationship. Like like New Japan, of course, like you said earlier, if you're not gonna use us right, don't use us at all. You got you got the ace, the biggest star that we have to offer to you, and nothing really came of it. You know, so uh stuff like that, like again, we're in that relationship pretty quickly when it comes to New Japan. But just imagine, like I said, all the things that we could have seen. You know, we could have saw AJ Styles and, Oka- uh, and Okada. You know, way before it ever happened in New Japan. Right now, uh, we'll just touch on Ring of Honor because they're the ones who have the most recent relationship yes. with uh, NJPW, and of course they had the SuperCard of Honor event took place April 6, 2019, at Madison Square Garden. That's right, Vince McMahon's home. He's watching it going, God damn, what's <laughs> going on? Yeah, fire. <laughs> um, that was April 6, 16,534. There. Um, I, I got to admit, I didn't watch the event, but again, it's something that they were trying um, and doing at the time. What, what did you think of the, the event that took place? It was a really, a really good show. I remember really enjoying that night. One of the things that stuck out to me was the American or I don't know, everyone there probably weren't American, but the people who were in the crowd in Madison Square Garden after the main event, well, Kazusuke Okada finally regained his his title against uh after fighting J- uh, jay white who by the way uh just had been a spoiler to that to that point when it came to fighting okada every time okada came close to winning he would find some type of slimy way to retain or, or find a way to to screw okada out of an opportunity so that to have a big moment like okada regaining his heavyweight title and to hear the american fan you know, chant Okada and like listen to his promo and the the fan interaction. I, I I'm telling, you, I know you probably you say you didn't watch it. Please go watch it and just see the connection <laughs> and how big uh, New Japan felt at that moment. Because in Madison Square Garden, a place like that, we all know how important that place is. And like you said, even I know you're joking earlier, but the connection with Vince is undeniable. To do that oh, in that place, 
You know what I mean? And to be the the head, to be headline that put on the show that great. They had another ladder match, I think, with Matt Taven. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, Jay Lethal was in it too. Uh, maybe it was. I think it was just Jay Lethal and Matt Taven. But anyway, it was a great ring on a title match too on that same card. So it, at the end of the day, both shows, both companies ended up looking really good from this one special night in New, in, uh, in, in Madison Square Garden. And it was just a great night all together, you know, all the way from the Battle Royal down to the main event. Well, then, of course, COVID happened. And, uh, of course, a lot of wrestling. I mean, British wrestling was shut down for, you know, 10 months. So, uh, and even any independents aren't open yet. Of course, you've got NXT UK, which is filmed in BT Sports Studio. We know about what's going on uh, with the American ones. How did COVID affect New Japan? And how soon after did they start... Uh, kind of run events again because I'm quite shocked to see some fans uh, in attendance at some events in Japan. Uh, how did how how bad was it? Oh man, it was uh, at first. It, it, I was I know I was not only very worried, but I know they were. And it was a lot of uncertainty, not like not only in New Japan, but especially just in the wrestling world in general. After what happened, they had a big year. I remember after the Wrestle Kingdom in, in January of 2020, them announcing so much. So uh, just huge events, huge events uh, in uh, for 2020, and uh, a lot of that stuff had to be canceled. You know, uh, a lot of that stuff had to, had to change. As a matter of fact, COVID has actually affected what people perceive as the relationship between Ring of Honor because since they haven't been allowed with, with the travel restrictions, they haven't been allowed to trade stars as much. Uh, people wasn't wasn't sure that they were still working together. But yes, according to Rocky Romero who works uh, with New Japan, and he wrestles also. He's he's a big figure in a lot of the things they're doing in America now also. Uh, he said they're definitely still working together. It's just been hard with what's been going on with COVID. But uh, it ended in uh, February 22nd with the last show, February 22nd, 2020. It was Nakanishi's retirement event. And, uh, you know, he's a, another great um, wrestler from – one of the great time periods in New Japan throughout the 90, the, the 80s and 90s and the 2000, uh, you know, of course, all the way down to 2020 when he finally retired. But, uh, you know, we had a lot, a lot. It was a lot, so much planned, but they didn't come back again for another special, uh, which was that Together Project special, which is basically announcing that they were back. That was June 15th. That was in the summer of, uh, you know, in Japan. And then they finally had the New, uh, the New Japan Cup special uh, that, got with limited fans it was no fans at the at the very beginning and then i think by the time we got to dominion i know for a fact by the time we got to dominion in july uh it was i think it was people there and uh lim- again limited you know they they had to, it wasn't a lot and it's still not full stadiums even though one, a couple of shows did look i was surprised like you said there, there was that many people in there mm. uh but uh no no you know chant like the fans are supposed to be quiet they're not supposed to be able to uh, touch. Of course, like I said, the wrestlers can't even go anywhere near the crowd now anymore. There's a lot of guidelines. They had these uh, sanitation breaks in New Japan now. Where, uh, as a matter of fact, I think in this show, uh, in the uh, if you watch, if anyone out there watched Castle Attack, in the middle of the show, uh, especially on night one, they would go on break, and that's their sanitation. They're spraying down the ring. And, uh, you know, covering up everything, you know, sanitizing as much as they possibly can in between the car. And the cars are way smaller than they were pre-pandemic. You can go to like a a, a, a certain car uh, in pre-pandemic. And if, if it's a big show like Dominion, it's going to be like eight matches, maybe eight, nine matches, possibly, depending on 
uh, you know, how many titles were on the card. Because they have a lot of titles in New Japan. And sometimes they would do cards where all of them are on the line. And, and those shows can go like four or five hours. Now, it's round average around two hours, three hours at the longest, pretty much over three hours. So they've been they've done they've been affected, you know, with their style, had to change certain things around. But they I, no one, in my opinion, has gotten back on there to, to the level that New Japan has. Like you said, the crowds that are there, you know, uh, still uh, restricted, I think, so far as with New Japan Strongest. I think that's filmed in L.A. But as far as like uh, uh, things go and like what they've been doing in Japan and like the Osaka show, Osaka, the Osaka show, the Castle Attack show, they just ran was full of people. So they've been doing a really good job from what I understand adjusting. And I think also, by the way, we mentioned the pandemic. A lot of this is happening. I think uh, also Rock and Romero in that same piece with wrestling, uh, with wrestling Inc. Uh, mentioned that with the COVID situation, this is what makes them, this is why they want to lean more on other organizations. Or they think it'll be a lot of guys in New Japan believe it'll be beneficial to lean on other organizations because, like you said, right now with not being able to get live gates, everyone is suffering. Uh, you know, even WWE. Yeah, I, I think without a doubt. So what we'd say that this um, cool stuff in ours followed Wrestle Kingdom we had last year's one, which I think Jushin Thunder Liger was his retirement. If I was that last year, I think that's right. And then, yeah, right. The, and then the one we watched oh, this year, of course, uh, Kenta was still the briefcase holder, and Ibushi became God. Of course, winning uh, the Intercontinental and the 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 IWGP. I said, call it the World Heavyweight Championship, so to speak. Uh, so we're going to get up to date with the, all the developments, uh, and we're going to talk about it. But first up, we're going to talk about uh, New Japan Pro. So we talk about Strong. Now, what is the program, and why is it different from, shall we say, proper New Japan, or isn't it? Well, uh, the main difference, and the thing that I think everyone notices right off the bat is, like I said, English commentary for the most. They do have a Japanese commentary option. But it's the primary uh, the primary option really is the English commentary. It's more of like a just a uh, this ties into what they were doing pre pandemic and expanding into the United States. You know, uh, they they like you said they have a LA dojo out there. So also that plays a big part into what New Japan is stronger. So for the American young lions to give those guys a platform to get better the same way. You know, the, the Japanese dojo guys have the road to shows or they have the the uh, certain pay-per-views uh, or like, or, you know, big event spots that certain young lines may receive, uh, depending on the car. Uh, it's basically a way for the U.S. Uh, young lines to get that experience and also for more New Japan U.S. talent to uh, to, you know, to display what they have. They got they've had guys from all over the place, MLW, Ring of Honor guys, uh, you know, uh, before the, when the pandemic was going on, by the way, because uh, Strong definitely helped out when Jay White, before he returned back to Japan, he showed up uh, in New Japan Strong. Uh, so it's basically a platform that's more not only, like I said, English friendly or whatever. It's, it's, it's like the American version of like what they do on a, on a and they just it just comes on every week, kind of like what we're used to seeing in uh, the America. So it has a lot more to do with New Japan's expansion into the U.S., and just trying to be more, like like I said, user-friendly and expand their horizons outside of Japan. But do uh, NJPW have, like, a a Raw or a SmackDown, like a weekly program? Was it more just to kind of 
because I've noticed a lot with like your castle attack and then it's like road to castle attack which will be right. maybe three or four shows leading up to that so that's I was just about to say so that's exactly what they're if you want to say they have a raw or smackdown that will those will be those road two shows they kind of uh they tag they 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 put like for example Naito and Kota Ibushi uh, is fighting in the main event of Castle Attack for the Intercontinental title. So to to get ready for that match on the road to that show, they will fight each other in tag team scenarios or, uh, you know, whether it's with their factions or whether it's just with other partners, you know, they, they would, you know, kind of give you a preview of what to expect when these guys fight one-on-one. So not only is that another great way to get young lines and other people reps and, you know, but it also works with the, with, by the way, if you don't know a new Japan, pretty much everyone is involved with a faction. Whether it's uh, you know, Lij, which is Los Ingobernable, they Hapon, uh, and I know that's kind of, that's in you know Spanish also. But <laughs> anyway, that's Naito's uh faction. You have Chaos, which is uh ran by Okada. Of course, the Bullet Club, Suzuki Goon, obviously ran by Minoru Suzuki, and uh, Taguchi Japan, which. It, it has Taguchi's name, but it's really kind of looked at, in my opinion, if you really watch, they kind of like the babyface locker room. Tanahashi's there, Kota Ibushi's there, so you know a lot of the the, the New Japan fighting spirit guys they come from that, uh, you know, uh, ilk. But uh, and you know I think GBH, you got other little subsets, but they all kind of work within that faction, and they and they all fight each other. Sometimes factions fight each other, but anyway, that's what mostly happens on the road to show. They preview uh, certain things that's going to happen on the bigger cards and also uh, certain titles. The junior tag team titles was defended on the the, la- the road to Castle Attack show on the 25th, I believe, of February. So, you know, sometimes they do title matches on those road to shows, you know. And uh, but a lot of that is meant to establish what's going to happen at the big show and also to get storytelling. You get those comments after those shows also to kind of establish, OK, why is this guy targeting this guy? Okay, or why? What? Why? What does this guy want? Does he want this championship, or is it something personal? You know what I mean. You get a lot yeah. of that information, a lot of the backstage attacks, a lot of the the extra stuff that you kind of know and love pro wrestling for for your storyteller. That happens a lot on the road. The big shows are kind of like where the blowoffs, you know, take place. Yeah, excellent. So and that's what I'm saying. Anybody listening to this can understand exactly what's going on now when it comes to kind of New Japan. So we're going to go date-wise with all the developments that's happened. Um, and basically we'll start off with uh, our watch Strong for the first time on January 29th. And we see Fred Rosser, who was Darren Young, Leah Rush and TJP. And like to talk about Leah Rush is um, wrestling in MLW now. TJP is the X Division champion. Going against uh, Kenta, El Fantasma, and Hiku Leo. hope I'm saying that right. Uh, it wasn't a bad match, but with the talent involved, it kind of made sense. Uh, Bullet Club members Kenta, El Fantasma, and Hikaru in the ring. The lights went out, and when they came back in, John Moxie appeared. Mox got rid of Hikaru and ELP, so that it was just him and Kenta in the ring together. Kenta went for the go-to-sleep, but Moxie counted into the Death Rider. Moxie then grabbed the microphone and said the borders were not stopping from facing Kenta. How will we get it done? We'll get it done, Moxley said. And then NJPW confirmed that the IWGP US Heavyweight Champion, John Moxley, will defend his belt at New Beginning USA on the 26th February. Up until this, Moxley had not been permitted to perform for NJPW United States due to his AEW contract. And strong is taped in Los Angeles, meaning AEW likely agreed to allow this to happen. And Kent is the contender to the championship 
he defended the right to face the champion at Wrestle Kingdom by defeating Tachi Kojima. And Moxley won the title by defeating Lance Archer in Texas Deathmatch at Wrestle Kingdom 14 in 2020. So a lot of unpacked there. So this is the kind of start of the Forbidden Door. So first and foremost, why was it the Forbidden Door and why wasn't AEW and New Japan kind of working together at the start? Well, I think a lot of that you can tie into, like I mentioned Errol, Harold, earlier, Harold Meese, the former president uh, of New Japan, who just resigned of 2020, October of 2020 last year. Uh, he he took it personal, honestly, that uh, AEW was taking uh, not only Kenny Omega, the biggest star, but the Bucks were leaving. And, you know, even though Jericho Jericho had been helping out New Japan for a while, I think he took it personal that even Jericho was going to AEW, even though he did return to uh, New Japan as AEW champion at uh, one time. Uh, the relationship was kind of icy, you know, on, on both sides. Uh, and I think a lot of that, from what I've read, has been stemmed back to a lot of people not liking how much talent, not not so much the talent in New Japan, the talent in New Japan, they seem to, you know, they didn't really seem to mind it or they didn't seem to get too offended from what I understand. But the a lot, you know, Harold and some people backstage did not really uh, enjoy losing so much talent to AEW. So uh, that kind of put a little stifle there, even though they still had Moxley working for uh, both, uh, you know, New Japan and AEW, and like I said, they also worked out think the uh, the Tanahashi and Jericho match uh, from I think the Wrestle Kingdom before last uh, happened because of that. So, uh, yeah, it, it I don't really know personally, like because I'm not in these circles, but uh, it was a lot of things on both sides where they both kind of had problems, and it was a, a little bit. So when he got moved out, that's when uh, the president who is the president now, and also the guy who's over the expansion of New Japan in the USA, uh, took over. And a lot of people, fans alike, got more excited and saying, okay, so now that he's gone, we can finally get this forbidden door open. Because, you know, people looked at it as Harold Meese being the problem. But we all know, you know, how it is in business. You know, you have to figure these things out. And I think that's just what it was. It was just, it was a, they, they butted heads there and a little bit of stubbornness came into play, if you see what I mean. Well, and the thing is, is that Moxley, obviously, as a champion, will have to drop it at some point, or at least have a match in New Japan. So that maybe that wasn't that surprise. Yes, it was shocking when he showed up at the, you know, uh, after the, that strong main event uh, and, and, and and counteracted with Kenta. But it wasn't until February 3rd with Beach Break that so shit hit the fans, so to speak, because <laughs> Kenta appeared after the main event and hit Mox with a GTS. And like I said, the, the appearance by Kenta is stunning and suggests that AEW New Japan may have stuck a, an agreement that could open the door for promotions to work together. Impact Wrestling already on board with the idea with AEW and now with New Japan. This has forced many people to sit up and take notice. Um, when at this point, oh, first off, what did you think of, of Kenta's appearance in AEW? Uh, were you just marking out and thinking this was the biggest moment? Or, again, were you not surprised thinking, well, they're going to have to tell the story at some point? See, I, I would be sitting here uh, lying to you if I didn't, if I told you I didn't mark out at all. It was still a great thing to see. Uh, I was definitely still relatively shocked by it. But being someone who watched New Japan on the regular, I will admit also that I figured something like this would have, like you said, would have to happen eventually. They couldn't just keep letting Moxley, 
you know, for a while after the pandemic, what happened with with the U.S. title is it just wasn't really talked about other than when they finally had the tournament that let Kenta, you know, win the briefcase. Then he defended his spot for a while. Other than that, they didn't really mention it. So I knew for a while, I knew that the U.S. title had to find some type of way. I thought they were maybe going to strip him again or something like that. But I'm, I'm glad they didn't, by the way, because that would have been a bummer. He still has never lost his belt. And I think that's, uh, you know, what the way everybody would want it until he got a chance to defend it again. So uh, what happened, uh, honestly, to me, I, again, marked out, definitely was excited, especially because I uh, I like Tom Tonga, who's part of the Bullet Club, if you guys don't know. And uh, he talks a lot of me. <laughs> and he really was just laying into uh, the the good brothers who are, who are Impact Wrestling and also, you know, AW yeah, and yeah. Kenny Omega. So when I saw it, and when you listen to the way he talked about it, then I see Kenta pop up on the show, I was just really, I was just shocked just based off that because I was like, okay, it must be something still there. Tom is talking this negatively about him. But, you know, no, it may be, who knows? It could be just getting worked. But either way it goes, it was nice to see Kenta in that position, even though, like I said, in the back of my mind, I knew it had to happen at some point because Kenta had been carrying around the briefcase for a long time. And Moxley has been a, the champion that we haven't been able to talk about or see for a long time. So I knew eventually something had to happen. Well, down in February 5th on the NJPW Strong, uh, John Moxley had an interview. Uh, of course, Kevin Kelly spoke with him about his upcoming title defense. And he said, you can't litigate your way to the U.S. Championship. You can't talk your way into it. Moxley said, you have to take me out. I live for this stuff. He has to kick a hole through my chest. And then on to AEW February 10th, Dynamite. And we had Kenta and Omega versus Moxley and Archer in a lights out match. Now, first off, that promo by Moxley on on Strong is strong. But when they announced this match, (laughs) I I thought, are you fucking crazy? Like a lights out match with Kenta involved. Uh, This match was fantastic. Uh, Kenta fought out. Uh, and sprinted off the stage and landed a double foot stomp onto Moxley from the table below. The slow motion of that from Kenta as well <laughs> was, was, was something else. Uh, and then we see Kenta um, getting involved towards the end, but the good brothers silence uh, Lance Archer with a magic killer, and then Omega followed up with a V-trigger and the one-winged angel to get the victory. Uh, but again, amazing match. And um, the Forbidden Door has been kicked open. And Kenny Omega and Kenta are victorious here tonight on this historic dynamite Excalibur. Uh, what a match it was. And uh, did you think at this point we are there now with the start of this beautiful relationship? You know, uh, I thought I thought this night, I thought that particular match and that night would go down as the, 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 uh, the official or maybe unofficial beginning of what everybody is so hyped about, you know, watching that match and watching, uh, you know, the, like you said, the absolute, first of all, it was absolute chaos, by the way, that match. And if you just take it all into account, what happened, they were just going a non, a breakneck pace. And it was just like, it was great all the way, you know, all the people involved did a great job in my opinion. And it did a great job of building more heat for the United States title match. But uh, like I said, I think, whether it end up leading right directly into more, uh, you know, good, uh, you know, working with AEW and New Japan, I believe that it at least is definitely one of the big first steps. You know what I mean? The fact that not only it went on without a hitch, everyone came out healthy. Uh, far as I know, uh, far as I know, no 
you know, no bad, you know, words were about from either company about came from that situation. So when you hear things like that go on and you saw how well Kenta was treated also, by the way, is is good. It, it leaves you nothing but like positive vibes about thinking about what, what's coming. Like, I, I can't lie. I immediately was thinking, all right, what's next? You know, do, do Kenta win the title and we act like this never happened or, you know, or does, you know, Moxley retain and this open up the door for even more? Uh, New Japan co- competitors to challenge for the belt. Like I immediately was more hyped for what's what, what was to come uh, on the 26th. Yeah, I think we're about that. And then we go February 16th and Impact getting on the party because New Japan's pro wrestling is Finn Juice invaded the Impact Zone as David Finn and Juice Robinson made their in-ring debuts against Reno Scums, Luster the Legend, and Adam Thornstow. Uh, we see Finney back the hot tag to Robinson explode into the match and join Finney for a homage to Power and Glory with a suplex frog splash combo for the win. After the match, Good Brothers reminded Robinson and Finney of their time as young boys in Japan. The victors reminded the Impact Tag Champs this isn't 2015 anymore and they aren't young boys. It's through the dig or two to wrap things up. Did you watch this on Impact? And if you did, what were your thoughts? Yes, I got a chance to check out not only uh, the, the segment after, but I did check the match out. Uh, which, by the way, I love. I, I always liked Finn. I've been a fan of Juice Robinson for a long time. You know, his U.S. title reign was a few years back was impressive. He, him, and Moxley, by the way, in New Japan had had a great match in Moxley's debut in New Japan. But uh, Juice Robinson and uh, and Finn Juice worked really, really well together. You could tell they're close friends in their comments after of uh, their their matches in New Japan. And so, so when I heard about it, I was definitely very, very excited to see them. And, you know, the match was what it was. I think it, was just, it did its job, which was to allow people who weren't familiar with them to see how they work together. And the promo itself also was just great stuff. If you've been watching or if you've been able to do like I've been doing to do and get a New Japan world and to go back and see Carl Anderson's work. Carl Anderson in New Japan, by the way, is un- he was unbelievable. Like He's not lying. 2012, he was in the G1 Climax, uh, G1 Climax final. Like he was, uh, you know, as the machine gun Carl Anderson before he was even, uh, well, he was in, he was in a tag team at the time I think with Jai Bernard instead of uh, with uh, Luke Gallows. But anyway, Carl Anderson has always been known, especially if you watch his work in Japan. When he's motivated, he can be one of the best in the world. And I, I think what him and them what they can do with Finn Juice, not only will they have great matches, the promos are going to be great, as you already can see just between them two because. By the way, Juice Robinson has one of the best promos in the world. If you just let him be, uh, let him be himself. I don't know how unfiltered he can be on Impact, but you know, I know Juice Robinson definitely can uh can cut a great promo. But yeah, so I, I love that. If you don't know, like you said, we mentioned earlier, we explained how the Young Line system go. Uh, Juice Lyra Robinson and Dave Finley went through that same Young Line system. They carried Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows' bag. They filled up their drinks. They took care of the. The, the more established guys, which were uh, those guys at the time. And to, to see them bringing that element into the storyline on Impact, I just think it's, it's a good job and it's, it's great stuff, man. I love it. I love what Impact has been doing, uh, not only since this relationship started, but, you know, really since since my guy Don Callis, you know, started making more decisions over there. Well, that doubt. And, and I think uh, the way it looks, they've set up an eight-man tag match, them teaming together with the Good Brothers, uh, on the impact coming up and with sacrifice just a couple of weeks time maybe we will see the good brothers versus finn juice for the impact tag 
Championship. Uh, that'll be interesting to see. And of course, the other thing that's quite good is obviously the agreement and uh, and NJPW uh, World have got is the fact is that if the matches are involved in other promotions, um, Rev Pro, this was last year when um, Osprey and uh, Zack Sabre Jr. had the match yes. on, on Rev Pro on demand. That was featured on here. The Dynamite match that we've mentioned with Kenta is on there and the Impact mm-hmm. match with Finjuice is on there as well to go check, which I just think so fucking clever. You know, simple, uh, but it's, it's there if you just want to check it out, then you can kind of catch up with it. But like you said, not everyone is happy because Tamatonga has criticised AEW's recent trademarks because they've filed trademarks to the terms too sweet and forbidden door. The first of which um, Tamo Tonga really called out saying how AEW can take it because the Bullet Club doesn't use it anymore. Um, of course, <laughs> we've seen a working relationship after Kent appeared on Dynamite. And of course, the match coming up at New... Uh, he said, I saw AEW trademark Forbidden Door. You're getting real petty with that. Trademark is too sweet for Forbidden Door. You're playing a stupid game that WWE is playing. Come on, I thought you are trying to be different. Come on, AEW, Tony Khan, you mark. You've been in the business two years. <laughs> Where are you four or five years ago? Shut up. You grabbed the losers to boost the ratings. That's why you failed at business. The losers, Tamara's referencing with Juice Robinson, Dave Finley, of course, appeared on Impact. He said, New Japan is responsible for all this. If Japan to be no more forbidden door, no Kenta, no Finn Juice. Everyone's looking for help and looking towards New Japan. They can take, 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 and not say thank you. A card ain't going anywhere. Why would he degrade himself <laughs> to that standard? Uh, that was about Dave Meltzer's recent report that uh, card will be appearing in other companies. Um, what are your thoughts? I can understand it, and it's great that someone is so passionate about a product that they love. And and New Japan do deserve a thank you, don't they? Oh, yeah, they definitely deserve a thank you. I think what they've been able to do on their own is why they are in so much demand to work with other companies. You know what I mean? They have pretty much established themselves uh, as one of those, you know, not only the biggest name in Japan, but just like they make they making a lot of money too. also in America. I think they made thirty five million dollars last year, uh, American dollars uh, last year from America, like which is a lot. When you uh, when you contribute that also with the money they already make in Japan and and uh, and you know from their other streams so uh, they've been they're getting increasingly popular in America and they did a lot of that on their own you know even with you know Kenny Omega of course and the, the elite being who they are and having the fan bases they have yeah but a lot of that a lot of those classic matches the thing that crowned Kenny Omega as the best in the world it happened all in New Japan you know what I mean and his matches with Okada. So, yeah, they definitely deserve a thank you. And I, I agree with you. New, and by the way, Tomatonga is a guy who came through that system all, also. You know, he was he's a Bullet Club day one guy. So if anybody can say anything about it, you know, I know Carl Anderson is also, you know, with Prince David. But Tama was right there with them also and with Fale and, you know, those guys. So uh, they uh, – have he has a, a, a huge gripe and honestly the thing is with Tama he's so good at doing that and getting under everyone's skin and just saying things that he knows is going to piss everybody off that's the reason why I say be careful with what Tama says because some of it may be you know a little bit honest but also he could be working us all and this could just be a big program that they've all discussed because uh I, from what I understood pre all of this Tama Tonga and Carl Anderson would hang out together. I've seen Carl Anderson and his kids with Tomatonga. Uh, you know, especially, uh, you know, I think that was during when uh, the breaks were happening, when a lot of people were on break uh, because of the pandemic. 
they were together at times. So I don't know. I don't know how much of it is all, you know, like a shoot. But I will say this, that Tom Tonga will never hold his tongue, especially when it's involving New Japan and the Bullet Club. But this is the thing as well, and, and at the moment, the Good Brothers are the main event players on Impact. So to try and build that division and trying to get, you know, imagine the Gridders of Destiny involved in a matchup, be it on pay-per-view or elsewhere, is going to be phenomenal. And this is what we're kind of hoping for now. But we're going to talk about what's been going on elsewhere in the promotion because we've had a title change. And if I fuck up a little names here, I do apologise. But El Desperado and Yushinobu Kanemuru captured the IWGP Junior yes. Tag Team Championships at the Road to Castle Attack event. Uh, they defeated Al Fantasmo and Taji Ishimori in the main event, defoning the former champs. Uh, he pinned the Ishimori with the Pinche Lodka to win the titles. Mm, yeah, They were not originally scheduled for a title match at all, but... Takahashi left Bushi and Hiromu unable to challenge for the junior heavyweight titles as planned. Instead, an egg was shot at the road to Castle where Desperado and Kanemaru laid out ELP to set up the title bout. The Reign is the third with the junior tag titles. The most recent loss to the titles was at the road to the new beginning event on January 23rd. They did not manage a successful defence in their just ended reign. Now, is this, I mean, obviously, when it comes to championships, uh, in America, a lot has changed in the past 20 years from, you know, changing every week, so to speak, to having good reigns. With the junior tag team titles, there may be something that's not the Intercontinental, like the kind of world championship. Do these titles maybe change hands a little bit more frequently? Uh, yes and uh, no, depending on who is the team uh, on top, you know, but they definitely change a, a hell of a lot more than the heavyweight and, like you said, the IWGP uh, Intercontinental title. Uh, they don't change uh, nearly as much as uh, the junior tag titles do. And I think that has a lot to do with how uh, great, you know, that division is. But at the same time, uh, these particular uh, El Desperado and Kanemaru in particular have ha- had a lengthy reign in their uh, former, their reign before this. You know, uh, ELP and Taiji have have honestly dropped the belts a lot more than I'm used to honestly because uh, I think this is just that's this that second reign or rather in, like in a in a couple of months actually so it's kind of crazy when you think about that that doesn't happen that often but you know depending on the team depending on how consistent they are and by the way no one works I, I don't in that division I don't know if anyone works j- as good as Kenamaro and El Desperado they are great at what they do you know when they uh, when they were more when they're not fighting the Bullet Club. And they're kind of like more in a heel role. No, no one can outsmart. Like Kanemaru was called the heel master for a reason. No one can outsmart him, uh, you know, when it comes to, you know, figuring out things. And El Desperado, oh, man, the, the, the year he's had with ever since the pandemic and what he's been doing, oh, my goodness, he's one of the best in the world. And I think that's what a lot of people are getting the chance to see now. But, yeah, uh, those tag team titles – uh, pass around a little bit more like well, as you get down to like the never open weight and uh, six man and the never open weight championship itself and you know maybe the junior, the junior uh, tag title they pass around a little bit more than the uh, the, the junior heavyweight and the heavyweight and the, the, the singles belt the big singles belts but to be honest in Japan if you want to compare it to what we see in WWE or something like that they don't pass around belts usually especially when things are normal half as much as what you could be used to depending on what you've been watching. 
Right. Okay. So that is, uh, now we're going to do is going to move on to New Beginning because we're going to have night one and night two. So New Beginning part one was February 19th. Um, the look of the set, uh, like I said, in this kind of pandemic era, especially in America, uh, the way Impact have done it, I think, is really well done. AEW, of course, approached it in a different way. Uh, same with WWE's like a Thunderdome. Uh, I, I didn't mind it. You know, I'm not used to like a, a New Japan set anyway, so I couldn't say it looked any different or not. Yes, it was a little <laughs> bit smaller, but right. uh, I, I, I didn't really mind the set. The commentators were Kevin Kelly and Alex Kozlov. Then the first match was Mysterioso, Adrian Crest and Rocky Romero defeating Barrett Brown, Ray Horace and the DKC. Veteran Romero scored a submission win. He tapped Brown following a suplex into an arm lock. This was a, a good opener, uh, without a doubt. Um, afterwards, it was said uh, Brown was uh, exasperated and said he hadn't picked up a win this year. Plus, he wasn't in the Super J Cup, nor did he make it past the first round of the Lion Gate crown. His partners consoled him, but Brown was still on the side with his performance. So I quite like that because it showed that wins and losses actually matter. And it's not a case of, I lost a match, oh, I'll move on. It was actually, no, I'm letting everybody down at this moment in time, you know? I agree. You see a lot of it. That's another thing that I love about Strong, that they do, uh, you know, uh, that they show a lot of the comments or like the, a lot of the things that people uh, feel and they talk about those things during the show. And it's kind of, again, like I said, kind of just like in a, an English speaking version of what they kind of do in new Japan. But yes, victories and losses matter a lot. You know, a lot of this, as a matter of fact, the way people usually get title shots, especially when things were normal, you know, every now and then you get the regular challenge and maybe it's a storyline reason, but for the most part, it's a hundred percent, because I lost this match and whenever I lost it, whether it's in a tournament or whether it's in just a regular match or whatever, like if you beat, you pin a champion in new Japan, you have a right to challenge for that title. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen when you want it, but you have a right to challenge for that title. So wins and losses mean uh, a, a very much a lot. And like you said, that promo exemplifies how you sell losing and how you should feel about losing, especially in uh in professional wrestling but yeah uh yeah losses mean everything wins and losses mean everything i led roster defeating nikolay who on paper this felt like a natural monster hill versus experience but smaller babe face this is a much more slower pace than the first but it's a nice switch in tone after also kicked that choke slam which no one had done on the show up until that point he fought up for a backslide the much larger clay and ends up scoring the upset win this is a nice finish that surely lead to a rematch in the next few weeks and i like the fact that in the post-match uh clay complained that he was in fact was the bad guy so if anybody's going to cheat it should be him um this wasn't a bad match the former darren young looks actually great and i mean maybe he didn't get a fair crack of the whip in wwe you know I agree. Uh, I mean, you can definitely think that. I mean, honestly, do you remember one of the last things I remember him, them having him do with Bob Backlund? <laughs> yeah, he oh, definitely oh, did yeah. not get a fair crack. <laughs> I don't know what. I can't even understand what they were going with with that. But, yeah, uh, he definitely showed, especially since he's been in New Japan Strong, uh, what he could do uh, in not only in, in the ring, but, like, character-wise also. He hasn't had a lot of time to showcase everything just yet but i think he, he like you said not only can this stuff he could lay or lead to more uh darren young definitely in the ring impressed the hell out of me because he never really got the chance especially because i think he was mostly in the primetime players in a team so 
he never really got a chance to show us what he could do, you know, uh, in a one-on-one situation. So watching what he do in New Japan has been really, really good so far. And Hikuleo is the uh, the younger brother of, you know, Tonga Loa and Tama Tonga. So he's actually right. He's, he's bullet club. He's supposed to be the one <laughs> <laughs> taking advantage of these situations. So I understood his anger. And I think Hikuleo has a really bright future if he sticks w- uh, within the, uh, the New Japan system. And I, I think he's only going to get better. No, I think without a doubt. And then we get El Fantasmo defeating Leo Rush. Event leads to a match at the Super J Cup 2020 show, which El Fantasmo won tonight. Main event has a slow build. In the beginning, these two spelled George jacked at each other. The two guys are among the best talkers, I think, in NJPW. So despite the empty venue, it never came off as awkward or out of place. Uh, they were back on the feet. Phantasma shoved Russian referee Jeremy Marcus, giving Phantasma a chance to load up a super kick for Rush as he turned back around. ELP connected, knocking out Rush to score a pinfall. Uh, this was a really good match. And the promo after Tal Phantasma mentioned the annual Best of Super Juniors Cup that's coming up, which gives us reason to believe we'll be seeing both Phantasma and Rush in a round robin this spring. Uh, it was a good show. Three really different matches. Um, a couple of questions. Oh, actually, no. One statement. The adverts in the middle were actually really funny. They're selling cleaning things. <laughs> and obviously, it's a contract they have to do for Japan. But the way they do it is so tongue-in-cheek, uh, I actually found myself laughing along with it, you know? I agree. And uh, if they're old to a lot of the little ads you may see sometimes uh, in Japan. The only difference is a lot of those are in Japanese, so you may not understand it. But they're basically doing... <laughs> Uh, English-speaking version of a lot of that, uh, a lot of those promotional things that they do, and I, I always liked it. I always thought that was a very, very nice touch, you know, uh, to throw on on these shows. Uh, one thing though about this match, I don't know if you noticed, you said loading up for his super kick, and one of the greatest things to come out of the pandemic is the backstory of ELP's new finisher, where he says he has trained uh, consistently every day in the pandemic in Canada kicking trees and that's how come he has that's how he has the strongest super kick in the world uh nobody in japan is buying it they are accusing him of loading his boot (laughs) so uh if you know anything about elp loading his boot fits right in with his character Uh, but yeah, I always liked that. That's one thing that came from the pandemic. That that's a great touch to ELP's character. He's one of the best in the world, and him and Leo Rush got a chance to show that again. And uh, another thing, ELP is one of the only people whose low blow is a straight punch. Well, that's what I like. I like the low blow being <laughs> caught from that as well. I thought it was quite smart. Why does uh, Kozlov hate uh, Phantasmo so much in commentary? Uh, I don't, I don't know if they have a, a legit history. They may have a history because Kozlov used to be not only a wrestler in New Japan, but he wrestled for many years also before he retired uh, years ago. So it's obviously something there. Maybe they, they could be leading to something in in strong. Maybe maybe Kozlov want to return to the ring and and uh, do something with ELP. Uh, I, that's the one. That's the thing I was thinking of, but I don't know. I don't know how how active he wants to be. But it's obviously something there. And honestly, ELP. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know an announcer because Chris Charlton is someone who helps out with Kevin Kelly a lot on English commentary in New Japan and he just calls him a scumbag and talks about this, him yeah. the worst possible way so I don't it has a lot to do with just a lot of what he is as a character also but I don't know as far as Cosmo go it may be something you know brewing there 
Were you trying to take notes and you're going, right, what are the commentators saying? And the commentator's going, he is the worst human being, human <laughs> being known to man. I go, Kozlov doesn't like him. Okay, let's, let's, let's yes. work out why. I'm not sure. but uh, So anyway, we move on to February 26th, part two, new beginnings. And ever we're in a nondescript venue with Kevin Kelly and Alex Kozlov. I'm anticipating a record viewing audience for this week's show. You can see Kevin Kelly is very excited. You can see he's, uh, he's in position and ready. And then we start off with Brody King, ACH, and Logan Regal and Sterling Regal versus TJP, Clark Connors, the DKC, and Kevin Knight. Uh, we see some great action in this matchup. We see a Mamba splash from TJP get the near fall. King breaks it up to start a brief parade of moves with DKC tagging in to put away ACH. Counting a brain buster into a small package. DKC keeps going with chops and forearms, but ACH returns with a super kick and a brain buster to get the win. This is an entertaining opening tag with Brody King's team dominate throughout as ACH surely popped at least himself by doing the whole match in a hoodie and a balaclava. Uh, there was a lot of talent on show. Um, it made me think this is a great way. But when will we see TJP start coming out of his X Division title as well? And when will they start maybe referencing that? Uh, I, exactly. I think now, uh, like I said, with things uh, seem to be rolling on a lot of these working relationships, as the trust grows, I believe we will get more of those uh, things. You know, that maybe he will bring the X Division title. Maybe they will acknowledge it more in strong and uh, maybe put maybe a couple of X Division title matches in Scrum. Who knows? Uh, I think I think again, like I said, I mentioned the time that they worked together in the past. Even though the the, the creative is much different in Impact now uh, than those days, I think the trust has to grow back. And as that grows, I think we will see more and more inclusion of things like the storytelling elements from TNA in uh, New Japan Strong. Uh, but, but by the way, I'm gonna be honest with you. I I like this match and I love Brody. I love Brody King. Come on, he's great. Uh, but man, I was just taking a. I couldn't believe ACA did not at least take off the mask. I'm like, how can he wrestle like this? Like I know he's drenched I, under this mask or something like his sweat. Like I, I did not know how he pulled even to, tried to pull this off. I don't know what was the reasoning behind it either. But you know, whatever. <laughs> It was well, the thing is, I, I couldn't take my eyes off. I'll say that. <laughs> I walked from the car to my house, and I'm sweating more than probably he did throughout the whole match, wearing a hoodie <laughs> and a balaclava. You're thinking there's something wrong there. Uh, Brody King, though, is a big man. He reminds me of Joe Coffey. I don't know if you've seen him a lot. Yeah. Go on NXT UK. Uh, I think the kind of build, the upper body and stuff like that is a very, very good matchup. And then we get Chris Dickinson versus Ren. Narita, that's how I'm going to say his name. Uh, right. This came out This came out the aftermath of a tag match on a road to show. Could be quite a proven game for Narita. He shoves away the referee so he can keep stomping away at Dickerson, who eventually replies with a Death Valley drive for near fall. From there, Dickerson looks to put away Narita, but Narita takes him down with some punches uh, from above as the referee needs to separate him. Narita goes for Boston Crab, but instead spins Dickerson in the middle of the ring for the Narita special number three leg lace. And with nowhere to go, Dickinson submits. This was a heck of an upset to end this sprint with Narita picking up a big win over the biggest names of the Indies. And there was no fucking around with the chops or slaps in this matchup, was there? (laughs) (laughs) Agree. Oh, man. Oh, my goodness. And I I have to admit, this is one of those moments that I was telling you about earlier. Like when I said you, I remember watching him when he was just playing and it was nothing. And, you know, he still has the young line guard on, but I have watched him. His body is different. He was way skinnier. I thought he was meant for the junior division. He may still be, but he's thicker now. 
You could tell he's more experienced. The style of match they work. Like, Ren Narita is a completely different Ren Narita that he was when he was a young lion in Japan. And to see him now, I think I think Kevin Kelly mentioned technically he's no longer a young lion. This is kind of like either you want to, if you want to look at it as, as his excursion, or this is just who he is now in New Japan Strong. And when he returns to Japan, I think he's going to be really, really good, really, really big. And it was just, oh, man, I was so impressed to see him fire up and the, the immediate slaps to the face. He was just, I don't know what, I don't know what Dickinson said. Maybe he said something offensive, but Ren Narita went off on him. It's just, it's just like he comes out and touch a like, I don't say little Japanese fella, but like an unassuming guy. And you're going, ah, exactly. oh, he's quite straight. And then he's going, wah! <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell! Like, uh, exactly. I agree, and that's what I'm saying. It, it felt personal at, at times, you know, the way it went. Like I didn't know what was going on, but it was such a like as someone who's watched him over the years and seen what he's turned into. Man, that's that's that. This is the young Renderita win that match is the young line system at its finest. You see someone when they're younger and they're developing, and you see what they were then, and now you watch them as a year or two later, and now over somewhere else like i said technically his excursion and he's a completely different person and he's always been really solid fundamentally in the ring but that uh, that aggressive side in the nah, strike just yeah i was it was it was insane i loved it i i loved the match and the character work also renderita was an unassuming guy also like you say he looked exactly how he was for a long time <laughs> he like, he like, not an unassuming man that was <laughs> yeah. that that match he is not unassuming i was afraid <laughs> I think uh, Suzuki. I think Suzuki needs to talk to him. I think he could be a great guy with Suzuki gun with that style, just slapping people around. Worry, <laughs> you go up to him, guy. You right, mate? Um, do you want a cup of tea or anything? He just like slaps you across the face. <laughs> <laughs> what, what did I say? Like uh, exactly. anyway, before the main event, let's get a brief history because everybody knows who John Moxley is. Of course, the former Dean Ambrose, part of the Shield, and now coming over. Uh, to New Japan and AEW. We're going to back Kenta, and we're going to touch on it because he was so innovative. Uh, innovative, if I can say the, the right word. And, and, and not just his style as such. Of course, the GTS, a lot of people know the Go to Sleep is a move that he was kind of perfecting, and then CM Punk saw it and took it. But it's even little things. And I was thinking about this. It's like the short drop kick in the corner when he came running in and hits that. And maybe... <laughs> You think it's quite commonplace nowadays, but when he was doing it and kind of making it, you know, it became vicious. I mean, how much of Kenta did you know? Of course, he was a heavyweight champion in Noah and stuff like that. How much did you know of him before or if any at all before he kind of joined NXT or or the legend of it, you know, kind of since then? So, like you said, on the Internet, he was known even before I could even ever get my hands on any tape of what Kenta could do. I had already heard his name, kind of like with Prince David. He was also another guy who uh, I think they both came into the uh, NXT around the same time, really. And they both had a, a fan, a huge fan base for what they were doing in Japan. And, you know, he was in uh, Kenta was in Noah for a long time. I'm not going to lie. I did not see a lot of what he did until after I saw how much of a big deal it was they, when they announced the signing uh, of him to NXT. But then I, I said, okay, I need to seek out, you know, what's going on. And like you said, the striking and the vision, the young, you know, Kenta at that time, the things that he was doing, 
and the 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 technique, the kickboxing uh, that he implemented into his matches. A lot of the things that we see all the time now, you kind of take for granted in a way. You know, like you said, the 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 the, the shotgun drop kick into the corner and like the just using kicks and strikes consistently throughout his matches. Uh, it's just a staple of a lot of his matches, and he's he's a legend in just from what he did in Noah, uh, and you know. So I, I had heard of him, but I, I, once I went back and I watched some of the things he was able to do, oh, I was I was very very excited for what was to come in WWE. Without a doubt, and we talk about his signing for NXT, and um, he debuted at Takeover Fight Four Way in 2014, and he beat. He's a takeover rival. We head into 2015. That's when the Double Up podcast first started. But the mania of that year, WrestleMania 31, he was actually in a pre-show battle royal, having a one-on opportunity uh, in, in a build-up towards that. And it seemed at the time that, you know, there was kind of a lot of hype behind him. He was scheduled for the number one contendership in a triple threat match with Finn Balor in 2015. But he had a shoulder injury. And, of course, this shoulder injury was so bad at the time. When you You can still see it. When he's resting, yes, you've got the um, the bandage up there, but you can see the scar, which is probably kind of the most uh, one of the sickest uh, injuries in wrestling, so to speak. Um, and then that was shoulder injury in 2015 due to complications and the neck injury when he tried to come back. He hardly complete uh, competed in 2016, and then returned in June 2017 and lost to Bobby Roode at Takeover Chicago for the NXT title. And um, we should say during this point, the time he came over as kind of you know big hype as one of the biggest Japanese stars of his time. And then as he was injured, Nakamura came in. Now I'm not saying <laughs> you can't have more than one Japanese star at a time, but I think when Nakamura was at, uh, not a different level to Kenta. But maybe personality-wise, would that be right to say oh, with the WWE product? I was just product? about to say, that's the main difference. Like, in the ring, they probably are way more similar than you than you would think, especially pre-injury Kenta. But uh, character-wise and who they are, you know, uh, man, Shinsuke's on a whole nother level. That's why he's such a big star in New Japan. A lot of it had to do with the character and just the uniqueness of it all. Shinsuke had a much more unique look and style you know, by comparison to to what Kenta was offering. So things had changed, like you mentioned, in the, that time that he was out. And Kenta, to be honest with you, I think he talks about it all the time. He wasn't the same right off the bat. It's confidence, a lot of that. You know, that happens when you get seriously injured and you get complications with surgery and all that type of stuff, you you know. Uh, but he just he wasn't really the same guy. No, well, at all. And like I said, he lost to Alistair Black at Takeover Brooklyn Free, and that the kind of end, uh, end of his NXT run because he went to 205 Live in 2018. You know, a couple of good matches, but in actual fact, now uh, nothing really came of it. And he asked for his release um, in uh, 2019, and of course went on. Uh, of course, he's talked about his time. He says that, uh, he said, I've ridiculous past feelings here in America. He said, I want to get rid of the humiliation. He said, this is why it's great to uh, get an opportunity for Moxley. A few years ago, Moxley and I were at different levels, but I don't feel like that now. He wants to be the first ever uh, Japanese IWGP US champion. Um, and again, it's it's unbelievable. You know, when you think about, you know, the kind of history that had, you know, the story begins with these two, Battle, Battle of Super Juniors. While well, a tournament gives a show, it's named to put on a banger of an undercard. All eyes were set on John Moxley as he to, set to make his NW, N, 
JPWW, his opponent, like you mentioned, was Juice Robertson um, and the current IWGP US champion, um, Moxley's Death Rider. And again, Moxley's De- Death Rider, Paragon, Paragon Shift is a great name, but Death Rider just sounds so, so much more kind of manly, you know. Um, and then, like I said, it looked like from that point, Moxley's future is bright in New Japan. And you talk about October 14th, 2019, uh, we had the um, the act of God, which basically stopped him from uh, being able to come across. But when he finally did, uh, January 4th, 2020, Wrestle Kingdom, he managed to be Archer for the uh, IWGP champion. He's been champion since then. Of course, Kenta entered the pitch and Kenta has um, held the briefcase uh, and had more defences then basically anybody's had total defences. In fact, his 531-day plus combined days as champion, Moxley has had two total defences. <laughs> when you compare to what Kenta has had. But um, like you said, the stage is set. It is time for the kind of main event. We've talked about it for this amount of time. It's the GP United States Championship. It's Kenta versus John moxley and here we go with the action in the main event they go head to head at the bell and start with an exchange of elbows before a shoulder tackle from moxley took kenta down chops come in the corner before sliding larry and a bulldog choke ended in the ropes as moxley looked to end things early but kenta bowed to the outside moxley joined him as they fought on the floor leading to a suplex from kenta kenta then grabs his title shot briefcase but a shot misses as moxley teases a pile drive onto it for a ddt Drop Moxley onto the hardware, rolling Moxley inside, and barely gets up after the count of two. And you see Kenta working on the back and a net breaker. You see Kenta with some knee drops and mocking. This, I really like this from Kenta. You know, he's taking the knee pad down, and as he goes to look to hit it, he just hits him with the back heel. And the funny thing about that is it's going to hurt as well. <laughs> like, it's not only degrading, but it's on the ear. You know, it's going to leave a mark, as they say. Oh, definitely. And I think that's a staple of New Japan matches. It's always, a, it's, I swear, it doesn't matter if it's a main event match, but especially in their main event matches, it's going to be one or two situations where it's like, you know that hurt no matter, you know, yeah, what, it, yeah, no yeah. matter what it is, predetermined or not, that hurts. <laughs> uh, we get kicks from Kent eventually caught as Moxley goes back to trading elbows as Kent just elbowed him to the corner. He tries to go for the go-to-sleep him to outside and then he hits a tope headbutt on the floor keeps moxley ahead as he leaps off into the stage into kent with a knee strike that was payback for what happened on aew uh then out comes a table to prove that wrestling is the same tied not methods we just see it shoved under uh moxley sets it up but a belt shot from Con- uh, kenta leads to moxley getting put on the table ahead of a big elbow drop from the top rope and then we see kenta rolling back back in and, of course, with New Japan, it's a 20 count instead of a 10. So at first, when it was 10, I was thinking, oh, that's it. And then he's going 11, 12. And I'm going, ah, I see. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right, right. Yes. In New but, Japan, it is a 20 count. <laughs> but at 18 or 19, I thought that was it. Did you think at that second, he's not going to get back in, they're going to do it this way? Or doesn't Japan play us like that? I was just about to say, uh, that's the one thing I will say. Uh, when I now I'm just like you. When I first discovered the rule, I was like, "Oh man!" Now, and yes, count out and finishes happens, but in this situation, it's very rare that a title match is going to end like that and count out. So, 
Uh, no, I knew he was going to get right in. They love to drag you right to the 19 <laughs> and then jump <laughs> right into it. Yeah, it's always a clutch little spot that uh, that they love to do in New Japan. So, yeah, I'm used to it now. But I, when I first when I first started watching this, and like you said, you're not used to anyone going above 10. Oh, definitely. I was like, oh, my goodness, he ain't going to make it, right? And then they get it right <laughs> at this last second. So it, it plays you perfectly, <laughs> especially if you're into the match. Well, Moxley's into the ring, but he eats a diving boot. Then a hesitation dropkick in the corner as Kenta looks to go for the win with a double stomp. But Moxley's somehow up at two from there. Kenta goes for the go to sleep, but Moxley again escapes and retaliated with a German suplex and a clothesline for Kenta sucking Moxley into the game over. Moxley rolls free and applies the bulldog choke before Kenta escaped and reapplied the game over. Eventually, Moxley got to the rope and caught Kenta with another lariat as the champion looked to push for the win before a death rider counted him to go to sleep, which escapes as Kenta tries his luck with more strikes. But in the end, though, Moxley ducks a lariat, hits a DDT for a two count. Kenta flips off Moxley, which just proved to be the spark that triggered a death rider. And that's enough for Moxley to get the clean win. And uh, there's no doubt Moxley's got the, the call factor. This might be considered an upset. And the thing I loved about it, as Moxley laid the title down on the ring, you can see Kenta just trying to reach for it. And before he can, Moxley pulls it away. Um, I was shocked by this because I thought it's obviously Kenta is going to win the title. Uh, what were your thoughts on the match and what were your thoughts on the result? Oh, man, the match itself was really, really good. About right around uh, what I expected from these two. You know, I'm, a lot of strikes, a lot of, uh, especially from Moxley, Moxley loves his uh you know his uh, submission game and they they both do as as you saw uh, with the game over and how it tied together and this this is just a, st- a Moxley style match. What I love the most about Moxley in New Japan is he fights not a completely different style, but it's just it's it's uh, different enough to where I could consider Moxley in New Japan almost completely different than what he is in AEW from the gear he wears. If you remember, we just talked about the AEW tag match he wear. He was wearing the black, uh, you know, trunks and the pants with mocks on it. In New Japan, for the most part, I've only seen him, other than when he started out, uh, I've only seen him in these camo as of recently. So that's mm. like a staple of his Death Rider character, if you know what I mean. Like you said, uh, they, he's a you know the paradigm shift, but it's called the Death Rider in New Japan. He's almost a completely different person. Every New Japan match I've seen him have has some type of outside element to it where he's doing something through a table or something like that because, you know, he's just that style. A lot of that stuff happens in New Japan, but it's re- it's few and far in between when people are getting put through tables and all that type of stuff in New Japan. Not when Moxley fighting. When Moxley no. fighting, it's almost guaranteed some outside involvement, a table or something like that. Kenta doing more of what I'm used to with him, strikes, submission, you know, uh, almost getting to go to sleep, you know, multiple times throughout the match. These guys did a really great job. Uh, of just going back and forth. I really enjoyed this match uh, through and through. And yes, I was genuinely surprised just like everyone else when Moxley won, because I always looked at this as a vehicle of getting that belt off of Moxley. So what this told me in, uh, if we want to talk about the impact and all that, uh, what this told me is that something is obviously brewing with, at least with uh, AEW and, and at least with Moxley and New Japan, uh, their, their contracts, or uh, is something that has went over with the pandemic taking away a big chunk of his 2020. I think it's just rolled over onto this year. So he has more that I think he needs to uh, play out and do. So I'm assuming 
AEW is allowing Moxley to work more on Strong. It seems like this is where they're gonna they're gonna be, and the U.S. title will kind of be like the championship for Strong. You know what I mean? So I uh, I think that's what that him winning tells us. There's obviously something else going on, more being worked out with him uh, with the U.S. belt. Uh, again, though, I will say this: uh, I don't know about the future because if Moxley, since I haven't seen Moxley bring out the U.S. title, like you said with uh, TJP. Haven't seen Moxley bring out the U.S. title on AEW yet either. So, de- you know, things like that will definitely show us, oh, okay, yeah, now it's really on and kicking. But this is the right first step and a, a big move. The fact that Moxley won this match, I think everyone who hype about this for Ben Dorr should be even more excited because, you know, with Moxley winning this match, that means there's more to come, at least with Moxley in New Japan. But was, uh, you know, but the, the thing is, I understand that, and I think, yeah, actually, I think Moxley did bring the title with him a couple of weeks ago on AEW, but the fact he's got the barbed wire exploding, you know, shenanigans yeah. going on with Omega, if he loses that, will he take time off or just be featured in Japan in that way? And the thing is, I mean, you're like we talked about for nearly two hours now, how big a New Japan Pro Wrestling fan you are. Isn't Kenta the right man for the job? And if not, would you, is there another guy in New Japan you say that's the one that's got to beat Moxley or would it maybe be a case of like a Lance Archer, I know they're teaming up at the moment AEW, yeah. or someone like him taking the title off Moxley and then being a part of New Japan in that way I mean how would you want it played out so this- Oh, I honestly, I'm with you I think Kenta would have been a perfect guy to be the number, the first Japanese person to win because like you like mentioned earlier no one ha- Japanese has touched uh, that belt, even though it's in a New Japan, you know, the company, it's, you know, but Moxley's been pretty much unbeatable in New Japan. Like, I, like again, no one ever beat him for the belt. And he's had uh, great matches with Suzuki and all types of other guys. I'm trying to think right now who would be maybe, maybe a Naito-Moxley match uh, for the belt, but I don't necessarily see Naito wanting to, you know, uh, you know, maybe if they want to get it off Moxley, that may work out, and Naito could challenge for that belt. But again, I don't know. Uh, immediately off the top of my head, maybe a belt for Jay White as the Bullet Club leader. Would it make more sense for Jay White to have uh, that belt? And you know, since that is kind of pretty much the biggest Gaijin organization in New Japan, you know, as far as factions go and all that type of stuff. But uh, honestly. As of right now, I think it's all just wait and see. You know what I mean? That's yeah. all thing we really can do with this because it's there's so many great matches they still can make. And I think again, that's why Moxley winning is a good thing from that retrospective. Is it shocking? But, I wasn't expecting it. No. But I think that's a good thing because of what can happen. I mean, me personally, and nobody can tell me to go fuck off because, you know, obviously you don't know the product as well. But if there's one person I look at who's been on a role who's kind of the man at this moment in time to go against someone like a John Moxley who's undefeated, who's such a monster, would be someone like Kota Ibushi. And I know, you, you know, yeah. as the, the heavyweight champion, it wouldn't happen, but <laughs> maybe in a kind of complete unification match, you know, or, or in that way, maybe. I know it's kind of dream stuff. Or maybe it's just a case of them waiting for a pay-per-view or for whatever, you know, New Japan AEW do. Maybe like a kind of, I feel... AEW, Impact, New Japan should all get together and have a pay-per-view. A nice super in, show, yeah. Yeah, in the UK. And I'm not just saying it because I'm in the UK, but you'll need it on kind of like uh, solid, not solid, uh, neutral ground. Neutral, you neutral, know? Yeah, yeah. So you can, that no no one has got a real advantage, and then you can play it off that in that way, I think would, would make sense. I think if it comes down to that, the only problem is, like talk about with egos involved, 
uh, and other people but hopefully they can overcome that and think about what's better for the wrestling fan at the moment because now all these possibilities with Moxley and everybody in AEW and everybody in Impact and everybody in New Japan that's kind of there's more excitement into the product I know the Wednesday Night Wars with NXT and AEW is exciting but this is even more because now it's kind of the only way to to beat WWE or to make it an alternative of alternate uh, product to do something different and to have every kind of so-called big promotion outside of WWE working together it's it gives so many more eyes to the product as well doesn't it you know i agree i think that's the end goal that i think a lot of people who want we want we love these joint you know joint shows joint you know um, cards where everyone got a chance to showcase what they could do uh, whether it's full of title matches or like you said multiple promotions battling it out uh, just in general i think that'll be a groundbreaking event if they ever could get it planned but Again, I'm again. We just have to wait and see uh, how things work out, how these relationships develop. You know, will they continue to everybody to be able to work together and work out everything the way it should be? Uh, you know, I, a lot of this stuff. I, I think a lo- another thing I, I just thought of with Moxley's situation also. Uh, since he, uh, you know, who knows? They could be trying to maintain his reign until they can find a way to get some something done with him. Uh, in front of some fans somewhere or in Japan yeah. or maybe or, you know, who knows uh, what the long term goals of this but the possibilities are endless and I think that's why again we see so much excitement across no matter what you're a fan of Impact or all that everyone wants to see what can possibly be made like I said the dream cards that can be made between all those rosters oh yeah it'll rival anything that WWE put on whether it's NXT or the main roster uh, with the, the amount of talent and the star power that they can use with everyone involved, uh, you know, and the the biggest thing also uh, that you have to pay attention to with this is that right now, honestly, I mentioned this last week, but I'm going to say it again. Right now, everyone is still fulfilling contracts. Like even Moxley is fulfilling a, a leftover, a contract from pre-pandemic time. Drew uh, Finjuice in 2020, uh, were supposed to go to Impact, which is a good sign, by the way, because like I said, New Japan and Impact didn't really work together for a while. But that that fell through because of scheduling and the pandemic and all that type of stuff. So now, since things are looking better and they were already, I think, on this side of the uh, you know globe, they went on ahead and they decided they could do it, do that, you know. So it, until, like I said, we see more like official things, like maybe, you know, I th- the, the hearing Okada could be going to other organizations, if that was true. The moment I see Okada pop up on someone else's screen, I know for a fact it's really going, because he is not only, even with Ibushi as the world champion and Intercontinental champion, Okada is still the guy that when he's there, it's, it's, it's official. So people like him and Tanahashi, those guys can show up on AEW television or if, uh, you know, same thing, vice versa with like if the Bucks or the of Kenny or of Cody, like I mentioned, uh, Cody or a guy who uh, he showed up in Japan, somebody like Cody showing up in Japan out of nowhere. Oh, I know it's serious. That door is definitely kicked down, not only open, you know what I mean? But until then, until I see more than like contract obligations, I can only say for sure I know AEW and Impact are working. Uh, and where New Japan is, I think they're definitely contributing, and I think this is just the first step in seeing how much further this could go down the line. But yeah, this could yeah. be really, really big, really, really big. 
without a doubt like i said it's exciting times we're both on the journey starting together we've seen the kind of forbidden door be open and we're going to follow this journey until it kind of you know hopefully opens up into something mcu like do you know what i mean like you know if it oh, can yes. be that can that kind of connect it would be brilliant it could change uh, the wrestling world and like i said with, with the pandemic wwe would need a lot of this too so who who knows like would it be everybody versus wwe or could we possibly see i know i know vince is very very stubborn but who knows if if, if things keep, keep going the way they are Everybody could be working together if you know, like, like they meant AW phrases change the world, and this truly could be the one of the first steps to doing it. Without a doubt. So, before we go, we're gonna have a quick look at the uh, Castle Tap results. Before that, it uh, looks like Marty Skull was backstage at the New Japan Strong Television tapings. He said there's some interest in him, of course, he was let go as Ring of Honor head booker. We had a let me just tell you a quick story the dub and i had quite an embarrassing i uh, say embarrassing, embarrassing because of what happened but we last year we were doing the magnificent seven we we're basically looking at seven of the best british wrestlers across the world so you had kind of pack uh, in AEW, you had uh, of course will osprey new japan pete dunn in nxt tyler bate in nxt uk marty skull ring of honor uh drew mcintyre of course and there's probably someone else that's going to be really annoyed with me but anyway we were doing them <laughs> Uh, and the thing is, the whole speaking out movement happened. And this was right. kind of a huge story in Britain and spread across. And Marty Skull is a guy who I've actually, you know, in, in Rev Pro days, uh, a few years back, we've met him. He's taken pictures with my friend's children and, you know, people we know seem quite a nice guy. And all these stories have come out about it. Of course, we're not going to go into full details. But uh, we, we stopped at that point looking at the Magnificent Seven because it wasn't the right time. You right. know, it wasn't appropriate to kind of look at it. Um, and we wanted what to do. And now with Mighty Scale joining our Will Ospreay thing in Japan, he's kind of distanced himself for comments he's made in the past, which, again, is neither here nor there. With Mighty Scale had a little bit more involvement. Um, at this moment in time, kind of... I don't know, you know, and I don't know what your thoughts is. Maybe someone isn't an outsider. Mighty Skull is a talent, but is it a case of someone deserves a second chance or do you know what I mean? Are you happy to see him in New Japan? Um, you know, honestly, I, I, I to, to, to kind of go on along with you, what you were saying, I was also a, a pretty big fan. He was really growing up. Not only with what he was doing, like in the ring, by the way, he's one of the best in the ring. That's no doubt about it. So, what he'll do in new in New Japan as far as wrestling, I'm pretty sure it'll be great. You know, but like like I said, will certain people will it be hard for other people to get behind him or see maybe if he comes back healing healing it up, it'll be much easier for certain people to hate him. Uh, I don't know. I can see it working as far as that goes. Uh, but yeah, uh, it was a lot. It was really really a tough tough thing that we were going through as far as like not only just. UK wrestling, uh, or not only just Marty, but UK wrestling as a whole, like you mentioned, uh, just a lot of stuff going on. And I, I've always enjoyed Marty. Like you said, he always he came off as a as a cool guy. And when you hear that stuff, it, it it's 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 just it, it it really gets to you. And it's tough to to hear that about people, or at least somebody that you assume. But again, somebody you assume is a good guy. But again, you know these things happen. And I, I don't blame anyone if they look at New Japan or if they look at him completely differently because of that type of stuff. You know, that, you know, that is what it is. I personally, you know, I, I heard what, what it was. I've seen also other guys that I have a problem with. You know, look at look at the Matt Riddle. Matt Riddle's the United mm-hmm. States championship. Yeah. I mean, United States champion right now. 
in WWE. And as far as I know, his stuff is still pending or still going on. You know what I mean? Uh, we've seen the effect that it's pretty much had on Velveteen Dream career. He's nowhere to be found right now. I think they're letting things die down before they ever give him a, a shot again or anything that I know of, unless he's injured and I didn't know it. But, uh, yeah, the point, I don't I don't know. It's, it's tough. But at the same time, I do believe, like, like you said, second chances are a thing. And I think if he's going to do it, if he's going to try to establish goodwill or his name, Doing it in New Japan seemed like a smart move also because I, I don't know if it'll be too good for anybody in the American or in other markets to to be attached to him right now. I think that's what happened with Ring of Honor. That's why they had to let him go. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know what he's actually going to be doing either. I don't know if it's just backstage at the moment or what. But, you know, the things is, I know time, when as time moves on, you know, a lot of things can change. And, you know, I know we've been able to see that uh, – much over the, it, it could be a Lars Sullivan situation where they tried and then they just get up, they get rid of them because you know there's nothing you can do with it. Who knows? Or it could work out and like you said, we still see this guy on our te- television screens like Matt Riddle. Or you could do what we did last year when we went to a British show and then dedicated a podcast to a man that I had been <laughs> trying to get on the show for about six months, Joey Ryan. <laughs> oh god oh god oh god yeah yeah and then of yeah. course the amount of shit i mean that i personally took Ooh. because i we were supporting i mean the thing is is that you how the fuck are you supposed to know as a fan what exactly. wrestlers are getting up behind closed doors and it's horrible for the fans involved but also for also the people that have had or made accusations against them or have, yeah. or, or have uh, been a part of it. So I think we'll we'll move on from that. But like I said, second chances. And then quickly on to Castle Attack, uh, Hiromu Takahashi was scheduled to face El Fantasma for the championship at the event, but has vacated the title due to injury. His pectoral muscle that leave him out for six months. There is a triple threat match taken in its place. And then just quickly, Castle Attack, we had day one results. We had the United Empire defeating Tenkozi and Hiroshi Tanahashi. You had Tangaloa defeating Yoshihashi and Hiroku Goto defeating Tamatonga. And of course, that was leading to the night two tag team matches. Uh, Tori Yanu defeated Chase Evans in a, a KOPW 2021 trophy. And then uh, Jay White defeated Tomohiro Ishii. And then Katsuki Akada defeated Evil. Did you see night one, or what were your thoughts on the action there? Uh, I took uh, definitely uh, saw night one, and uh, all the way down to well, actually, I saw I saw it all the way from the beginning, and uh, you know, I saw how the United Empire did what they needed to do. The thing, my biggest takeaways is is just like man, I lo- Yano. By the way, the Yano match. If you don't know, Toru Yano is one of the most hilarious wrestlers in the world. Uh, if you just watch what he does, uh, you don't have to understand a thing he's saying to crack up laughing. And some people hate it. I'm not going to lie. Some people hate his style, which I can understand. But this particular match with Chase Owens was the most serious Yano ha- has been in a long time. The KLPW, the King of Pro Wrestling trophy that he holds, has been his most serious uh, reign of any sort for a long time. And he, the way it's all about picking stipulation. The fans vote on him in Japan, I think. And uh, but that strap match was uh, pretty cool to me. Ishii, by the way, one of the toughest guys in the world. That match with Jay White, he just he almost seemed in, inhuman at times because he just he kept getting up, kept kicking out until Jay White finally hit the Blade Runner. Uh, that was a really good match. And then of course Okada and Evil. 
they had a great back and forth for a while. Even when he find when he left Lij and turned on his for, his former factions uh, to win when he won, uh, he used Dick Togo to win the New Japan Cup. It was against Kazushika Okada, and that their rivalry has been kind of you know going on pretty much since then, off and on, and it's heated up re- recently. And Okada getting that victory in another uh, great match. Okada using the Rainmaker, something he hasn't been using consistently. Uh, which is his lariat uh, that he's made so famous around the world. Every time I see it now, so and that's what I mean. Some little things like that. The fact that he had been tapping out people for months now with his money clip submission, and the, when he finally, the, the couple of times he's finally used the rainmaker, like against Osprey at Wrestle Kingdom, and now against Evil in this match, it means so much more. You know, you can tell that it was personal to him because he pulled out the rainmaker, and it's the little things in these New Japan matches that really, really. Uh, that I could just gloviate about for him. <laughs> no, like I said, and it is coming through. And I said, and and not everybody can be an expert on everything. You know, the old expression of you know, uh, jack of all trades, master of none. The fact is that some people just watch a certain product, some people are open up to it. And I think the thing on the Double Nub Podcast is trying to get people to open up to it. And yeah, you might watch it once and go, I'm never going to watch it again. But at least you've tried it, and you might find something that WWE, you know, people complaining about or WWE or AEW, you can find right. it somewhere else that actually might give you something that's worthwhile. And that's what we try and do here anyway. And then night two of Castle Attack. You had Tenkozy defeating Will Ospreay and Jeff Cobb. You had Akada, uh, Ishii and Yanu defeating JY, Evil and Chase Owens. You had Hiroshi Tanahashi defeating Great Okan for the Never Overweight Championship. Then you had a new champion crowned El Desperado defeating El Fantasma and Bushi for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. And weirdly enough, in the background now for me as well, is the main event, which is Kota Bushi defeating Tetsu Naito for the IWGP Intercontinental Championship. And after the match, El Desperado headed to the ring and challenged Ibushi to a match for the double championships at the uh, at Thursday's 49th anniversary show. Um, what are your thoughts on the, the night's action and... I guess New Japan's kind of thing is having, like you talk about, maybe not a promo at the start, but having someone coming down after the champions defended and then challenging them and setting up what's happening next, yeah? Exactly. I think that's that's usually the staple, especially if, uh, when it's the world champion. Or, you know, it really doesn't really doesn't matter. It could be the junior title in that position. And a lot of times, uh, you know, they, they'll come out after the show and they'll, they'll set it up. The, uh, so what's been going on at the anniversary show for a while now is, is the heavyweight champion goes against the junior champion. So the match probably would have happened in this way. But putting the title on the line is a nice little new thing uh but that just goes back into Kota Ibushi's character of you know at this point he's he feels like he's acceded to godhood which his wrestling gods are Shinsuke Nakamura and Tanahashi guys of that ilk so he's he believed once he became double champion he had ascended to godhood and uh you know so he takes on all challenges he, he's not backing down from anyone you know, this this match with Naito uh, after, you know, defeating Naito at Wrestle Kingdom for both belts. He Naito doubles back for the Intercontinental title, says he does not want to merge him. Because you mentioned a merger with Kota Ibushi early, and it's funny you mentioned that. Because Ibushi's end goal or his current goal is to try to convince New Japan to merge the heavyweight and Intercontinental title into one belt. And that's what Naito was trying to prevent. He did not want the belts to separate. But like you mentioned, uh, you know, El Desperado came down and he wants both belts. So 
that's another uh, double title defense coming up for Abushi. And like I said, Desperado impressed people so much in his match with Hiromu, uh, where he ended up taking off his mask mid-match and just showing like this incredible fighting spirit that I saw Japanese fans and uh, English speaking fans alike, you know, talking about on social media, just how great a moment it was. And, you know, he fell short in that match and for him to prevail and finally get the, uh, the, the junior heavyweight title seven years after him challenging for it originally. And guess who he challenged for challenged against for that junior heavyweight title. It was Kota Ibushi seven years ago. That the subtle (laughs) storytelling. That's what I mean. The little things like that, the little tie-ins is what I love so much about New Japan and what they do. And now you see El Desperado, uh, Kota Ibushi, after the match, told him, you suck, though, back then. You know, and, and Desperado telling him, I'm not the same man I was, you know, seven yeah. years ago. And it's just it's just great stuff all together. And even after the show, Kota Ibushi went even further to say, you know what, I think I want the junior heavyweight title too. <laughs> so now it's to the point where he's trying to just take over the entire company. <laughs> and this, uh, so this is the thing, it's, it's just, a little, like you said, the little details, the little thing of if you pay attention to something that happened seven years ago, it's going to come back and actually tell a story. And this is the kind of thing with Ibushi's whole journey, you know, especially becoming champion. If It kind of makes sense because you've been with him from the very beginning. I think that's what we've learned about New Japan. The fact is, yes, the action, you know, but it's a fighting spirit. It's uh, everything happens for a reason. There's kind of respect there. It's it's all about what happens in that very ring as opposed to everything else that happens outside of it. At the end of the day, a wrestling company that actually focuses on professional wrestling. That's crazy, you know, but... <laughs> this is, <laughs> exactly. They're called this New is, Japan. Pro, pro wrestling is in their name. We got companies yeah. that don't even want to call their stuff pro wrestling, and pro wrestling is in their name. So, yes, it, it's great. And like you mentioned earlier, I watched WWE when it was just nothing but WWE. Every night then I would check out TNA, and like I said, gradually I would check out Ring of Honor when I got a chance. But it was WWE for a long time. So when you get to something that's so different and so, like I said, refreshing – for me personally, it, it really changed my outlook on what I loved about pro wrestling. Uh, like I started to look deeper, even when I apply, I apply, started to apply the things I looked for in Japanese wrestling in my American wrestling. Like I looked deeper than just the storytelling and all that. Every move means something, even in even in the companies where they don't necessarily reinforce those type of rules. So yeah, I agree. Uh, that's why I love anytime I see some continuity in WWE. I'm celebrating it on my show <laughs> because I'm like, I can't believe it. They, they pulled something I seen yeah. from a year ago. I can't believe they remember. <laughs> so but, yeah, that's what I was about to say though. Yeah. It's, it's been an, it's been an incredibly different show to anything that uh, I would say that we have normally done and anybody listening along, hopefully it maybe learned something or just understands the Japanese product a little bit more. Cause it can be, a bit too confusing you know you can shout out all these names and championships and people just say oh i don't really want to you know i don't really understand but when you break it down into little things like we have uh, on this show i think it becomes more understandable Uh, when is the next new japan i mean uh, again with schedule wise i'm not that great but what kind of big new japan event and what's kind of scheduled for the next couple of months you know as equivalent where, where's the next you know pay-per-view or summer slam or or stuff like because obviously you've got wrestle kingdom which in january what's the kind of next big one 
Uh, so uh, on March the 4th, I believe, let me go to their schedule to be sure so I don't misinform anyone. Yeah, March 4th, they're going to have March the 4th on Thursday. Uh, they will have their uh, anniversary event that you mentioned where uh, they haven't announced the full card for any of this yet. Uh, but the, the anniversary events will, will happen, like we mentioned, where Abushi and uh, Desperado will be facing off. And that next day, Friday, will be the first. Uh, March 5th uh, will be the first ma- uh, night of their New Japan Cup, which is one of the biggest, one of those big tournaments throughout uh, the year, kind of like the G1, but not to the same scale of the G1. Is I don't uh, think it's a different type of tournament. Also, that bracket, as far as I know, have not, has not been unveiled and like uh, completely yet. I think that's going to happen uh, tomorrow, March 1st, at the press conference that they're going to be showing on New Japan World, I believe. Uh, but those are the two biggest events that's come. The New Japan Cup is one of those uh, things where if you win the New Japan Cup, you get a title shot, I think, on that finale night uh, or the, the next night after you win the thing, you get uh, the title shot against uh, the world champion. So uh, it, that was, that's one of the biggest things. And then on April 4th, they will have Sakura Genesis uh, in uh, in Tokyo. So they have those uh, big shows, and that'll lead right into Wrestling Dantaku, which is another big event uh that'll be coming later on in the year so uh but right off the bat we'll begin right back into it march 4 uh you know on thursday for the anniversary event and that'll lead right into the new japan cup which uh you know they're going to be going you know they'll have the dates and if you want to check all this out and look at their schedule and the news and keep up with them you go to njpw1972.com uh you know to check out all of this type of stuff uh, for their schedule and tickets and all that type of stuff. If you ever, if you, especially if you're in the Japan area, I don't think you need tickets to watch. <laughs> yeah, no, but without that, this is the thing. And uh, I think due to, well, it depends what the, the feedback will be, but I think the success that we've had today with this show, we might check in New Japan next month or maybe the month after, but definitely have like a catch up or everything that's kind of happened so far, you know? Just let me know. Sounds good to me. I'm, you know me, uh, if this is anything, the, the fact that I, the fact that this ended up being two hours just all talking about New Japan is insane to me. I, I can do this forever. I love this stuff. Uh, if if you're down with it, if the fans uh, of the show want want to hear more of this, I'm definitely down with coming back and uh, catching you guys up as things go up, go by. Well, I, I don't want to say anything, but people, everybody tells me that you are the favorite of everybody that we have on the show. So, hey, what oh, can I wow. say? Uh, don't tell anybody, obviously, but... <laughs> Thank you, guys. Hey, uh, that's good to hear, man. I, you know, it's nice. That's really nice to hear. I'm, I'm gonna leave it at that. I'm gonna leave it at that. I don't want to yeah. be too big headed, but you know. no. But <laughs> honestly, the the amount of emails and, and tweets and stuff that we had over the uh, NXT show that we did, which became like a comedy a stand-up routine after a while. <laughs> um, but I will say, don't worry, everybody, because the next time uh, Monty will be with us, shall we say the end of March? And shall we do an NXT update for six episodes? Let's do it. I'm I'm completely ready, and uh, I, I watch it every week. I start jotting my notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. I mean, that's a nice. T- you can bookend the month for us. You can be the first episode of March and the very last episode. So there you go. That will keep everybody happy. And then there'll probably be <laughs> a, a takeover in April as well, so everybody can get their their fill of Monty. As long as like I said, he's happy doing it. I'm happy to have him. You know. No problems here. I love every second of it, and 
I thank you guys for, again, like not only for the listeners, for all of the kind words and all of that, but all of this. I enjoy every second of this. So I'm happy to come back whenever we can work things out to do it. Yeah, so that is it. And before we go, our follow of the week is Hawkeye Warrior. Don't forget, we're across all social media, Twitter, at the WNR Podcast. I'm at the WNR JR. Do you want to plug your stuff? Uh, yes, check me out at MindMontyPod on Twitter. Uh, that's where a lot of my links are. Uh, wherever you uh, listen to your podcast, uh, as of right now, just type in the Mind of Monty and you should be able to pop up my particular part. Uh, and if not, just hit me up on Twitter, man. We can just get a conversation going about wrestling and anything that you want to talk about. Uh, I'm not going to guarantee a reply to everything, but I will definitely <laughs> talk uh, back to you guys. And just thank you guys for supporting. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait to do this again. Like I say, it's always a pleasure, never a chore. The uh, Dublin are also on Facebook and Instagram, of course, with the Google platforms. So let's see me at Dublin Podcast at gmail.com on YouTube. Dublin Podcast got the same time uh, as they do on, on YouTube. They do SoundCloud on your phone. Also Spotify and iTunes where you can download, subscribe, rate and review there. So that is it. Our next episode is AEW Revolution. But of course, next time will be Monty will be NXT update at the end of the month. Uh, I just like to say uh, I have been joined by Monty. Thank you very much for joining me. It is always enjoyable. I don't know where the time actually goes when we do this either. <laughs> me either. <laughs> Not me either. You should see... Uh, my my fiance, she sits around when I'm doing these, <laughs> and she cannot believe we talk this long about this stuff. So, yeah. well, you can, you, yeah, definitely blame me. Just, it's, <laughs> just if she sends me a very strongly email, the double up podcast at gmail.com, email me, uh, and I will apologise. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Thanks, thanks again, though. Uh, mate, like I said, it's always great to have you on. It's nice that we can have a laugh and look. And today, not only just you know laugh and uh, and review wrestling, but actually kind of you know pick things up and go into the kind of details about maybe a subject that not everybody knows. And I think that's the whole point of trying to do it as well. You know? Yes, sir. I, I can't great. I I love this, and I think I think this could expand not only just the viewership. Of, of New Japan, but just like wrestling as a whole, stuff like this can just open new horizons for for many fans. Yeah, I think without a doubt. Uh, so that was joined by the minor Monty. I have been James Rodens. Thanks for listening, everybody, and bye. <laughs>